0: You've all been waiting for. It's time
1: for the Steak for Breakfast Podcast.
2: It's Friday, January 28th, 2022, and this is the People's Podcast. This is Steak for Breakfast.
0: Okay, this is not Nam. This is bowling. There are rules.
3: Today, Junior,
4: America. Stake four. Bestest. So stand by.
2: This episode of the podcast is brought to you, as always, by Man Rubs, rubs barbecue tools, blowtorches, t-shirts, coffee cups, and all-around barbecue-related gear mm. for you to make barbecue great again. Use the code STEAK15 for 15% off your order at ManRubs.com and on Instagram, ManRubs. Also brought to you by Stay Ready Gear. They're at StayReadyGear.com and on Instagram, StayReadyGearUSA. Holsters, custom Kydex, mag carriers, tourniquet carriers, on and off duty gear. Custom orders. Anything you need out of hot melted Kydex. Challenge them. They might like it. Use the code STAKE for 5% off. Don't get ready. Stay ready.
5: You know, Michael Dell's out there and he's fighting hard. He's fighting for election integrity. He's fighting against Minnesota Bank and Trust. And he's fighting to ensure that you have a great night's sleep. He is... The humblest of all pillow farmers, and right now all sleep related gear. Might sound a uh, little bit uh, ironic, but it's all on sale as much as 50% off. We're talking Giza Dream Everything, waffle blankets, weighted blankets, my pillows, prices lower than ever before. The website is mypillow.com forward slash stake. Of course, you're gonna enter steak at checkout as your promo code. And if you'd like to talk about that and more with a qualified pillow representative phone number is 1-800-658-8045. What do you think Mike said when he got his bank account canceled?
0: I'm going to pray. You stupid son of a bitch.
5: I'm certain he didn't say that based off of a conversation we had with Clay Clark a few months ago. However, I'm sure he prayed for them. You know what I'm praying for? That one day I'll have a set of headphones just like yours. Ooh! The top tier of ear gear and the world's most technologically advanced in-studio recording gear. Specializing in headphones. be found at odyssey.com. Whether you're gaming, potting, listening to the Millennium song, etc., go over to odyssey.com, get yourself a pair of the best headphones you'll ever own. Mike, down at West Coast Survival Arms, has been servicing Southern California for over a decade. He's got a five-star rating. He's a licensed FFL. Most importantly, he's got ammo. Mike can be found at westcoastsurvivalarms.com. It's his newly redesigned website and easy to navigate via the telephone 619-870-6992 or via Facebook Messenger. First responders working hard. Tourniquets Accidents Narcans Etc uh, Narcant Nar Sorry You're not gonna make it <laughs> When they're off-duty, they're wearing Mediocre Medic sweatshirt, T-shirts, flip-flops, fanny packs, and more. When they're on-duty, they got stickers and patches on their bags and buses. You can find them at MediocreMedic.com. They've also got a Pretty Fire IG. And then the gold standard of tactical flair, home of the Zero Fucks Duck, can be found at Dumpbox. Go ask Mark Joe Friday about constructive ways for you to be able to waste money on all the stuff that goes on your tactical gear. You can find them on Facebook. You can find them on Instagram and at Dumpbox.us. Friends, don't forget to follow the show on Instagram at Steak for Podcast Breakfast. Shadow bands pulling back a little bit. You know, had about 2,000 visitors last week to the website. Hopefully it's content related to the podcast. But there you'll find a link tree and it'll take you to all our social medias, the website, our telegram, and more. I bet it was all fact checkers. There you go. But on that note, welcome. Friday edition, Steak for Breakfast Podcast, episode 103. I'm Roan. Noah's here. Yo. We're going to have uh, former Attorney General of Nevada and current Senatorial candidate Adam Lexalt joining us soon. In addition to that, we're going to get an update from NJ4's Mike Crispy, and we're going to have Alex Abernathy joining us in just a moment to do the news. Joining us today as a guest host to do some of the news with us, he's a syndicated radio host. He's read for some of the bigs. You may have heard of them. Rush Limbaugh, Dan Mongino. He's also the host of the Alex Abernathy Show. Spoiler alert, it's Alex Abernathy, thanks for joining us today on Steak for Breakfast.
6: Well, I appreciate it, guys. I'm pumped to be here. Uh first things first, just from listening to your guys' show, I have to say, best podcast intro in the game <laughs> is definitely Steak for Breakfast. Nice. I mean, it's just it's just no question. Oh wow. Undefeated. Yeah. Still.
2: Yeah, we were uh we were actually very surprised when our, our former uh well the guy who created the show and our former host sprung that on us. He's like, Hey, guess what? Guess what I got for the show? And we're just
5: like, what? Yeah. He's like, yeah, my uncle knows him and uh has a hey, sound.
6: He did this in his living room.
5: Yeah. And, and <laughs> yeah, he literally that, I was
6: gonna ask how you got the connection with the voice. That's yeah, so cool.
5: Yeah, his, his uncle knew him and then he showed us the little video. He's like doing he does the whole arm thing and pretends that he has a microphone, but he's doing it like literally in between some couches in his living room. Yeah, amazing. So <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, pretty cool. And we're gonna definitely continue to run with that. So how's everything going in your neck of the woods? How's the uh you know, radio community and podcast community going with you?
6: I mean, radio's fun. It's probably vastly different here than it is where you guys are out in San Diego and Vegas. Uh, I mean, I, I have no idea what, what life is like for you guys, for us, especially in regards to COVID it's, it, it hasn't been, it hasn't affected life for me in a year and a half at, at the shortest. Yeah.
5: Well, it's definitely uh, – San Diego's kind of like a gray area for California. It only California. affects you
6: if there's
2: Karens around, really.
5: Yeah, we, okay. we, we don't really experience – I mean, we all lock down when, when the rest of California locked down, but as far as since everything's kind of opened back up, even though we have a terrible, radical, progressive, liberal mayor right now, the, this is a big law enforcement community. It's a huge military community here, and, uh, you know, they've kind of scaled back a lot of those restrictions. If you come down to San Diego, you probably wouldn't think you were – anywhere else of, of what you see in, in california when when you're talking about like the sacramentos the san francisco's los angeles's etc so it, it's a little bit of different I'm, I'm glad it is because i don't think there's I less can, poop on the ground here way less poop on the ground so
2: yeah i have
6: to admit when i think california i think la and garcetti i think san francisco those are usually the two areas that come to mind first
5: yeah and it's what the uh legacy media wants to portray as, as is the whole state and the rest of the country. So it's definitely not like that here. And we always tell people, you know, that and and people that have been out here that they can pretty much attest to the same thing. So yeah, it's great for you to join us today. We got a pretty busy news cycle. Uh, The the week's been cranking out, you know, probably third really terrible week for the Biden regime in a row. Uh, We've got Ukraine heating up. We're going to touch on that first. Uh, You know, when the wagging of the dog goes horribly wrong and when we've had everything from top to bottom, you know, kind of backfire in that. Um, but borders matter. They're really important to a lot of different places, not the United States, however. How dare you talk about <laughs> our borders pronouns? So racist. CNN weighed in this week uh, early talking about, you know, how America should be defending borders, but, you know, they for sure weren't talking about the ones in the southern states. Let's listen to this
2: Americans care about what's happening in Ukraine.
7: Uh, because it, it goes to a very fundamental principle of, of all nations, which is that our borders uh, should be inviolate, that our sovereignty uh, should be respected. Why,
5: Alex, when you, when you hear somebody talk about that, but they're talking about some Eastern European bloc country and not Texas, Arizona, New Mexico and California, how does that make you feel?
6: I mean, it, it, it screams irony, right? I, I think we can, we can all acknowledge that. But I think what even adds to even more of the irony between the debacle at the border right now and hearing a clip like that is quite literally this week, as we're getting all of this with Ukraine and the border talk there, you're having Bill Malugin over at Fox News who's making the announcement that he's literally watching. So generally, I mean, as you guys know, uh, your last group of people that you will release into the United States is generally your single males. But in Brownsville, Texas, you've yep. got Bill Malugin broadcasting and watching vans picking up groups <laughs> of single males and dragging them into the country and dropping them off at airports where it's taking them to Houston, Atlanta and Miami. And so we're getting these contradicting stories and it all just screams irony.
5: Yeah, it sure does. I think it's, uh, you know, they, they they tried to use this as a big distraction to get away from the horrible domestic you know, news that's been cranking out the cycle lately, the death of build back better, the voter bill and, and and things like that. But, uh, you know, it's, it's one of the things that, uh, you start to look at it and it's just like, you even had the president of Ukraine coming out today in his press conference. And, you know, through through a translator saying like, I think I know how things are in my city. Like this stuff's essentially been going on since before world war one, obviously it's heated up in the last six months or so, but you just have to look at it from a, you know, a perspective of the people who were actually there know what's going on. So, I thought it's been really interesting to see that this distraction's kind of blown up in their face. And uh, we saw the press start to, you know, really dig into it with him this week. John Kirby gave a, an interview yesterday. And, and, you know, as the administration keeps saying, even to the president of Ukraine, invasion is imminent. Invasion is imminent. We're in the 11th hour. The press is like, well, if we're really in the 11th hour, then wouldn't they be saying so, too? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Let's check it out
7: seems like this is the 11th hour. What is taking so There's long? There's no 11th hour here, Jim. It's <laughs> taking so long for the invasion? In the last year alone, we have provided many millions dollars of worth of, uh, of capabilities to Ukraine, 60 million just in, in the, over the course of the spring. And then in December, President Biden authorized another 200 million. And that's on top of work that two previous administrations have been doing to help bolster the self-defense capabilities of the Ukrainian armed forces. So there's no 11th hour here at all. We've been watching this build up over time. Uh, that is why we got the 60 million there. We are, we are actually looking at ways we can accelerate some of the shipments that are to come as part of this $200 million package. Well, of um, cash. Uh, because we see this continued buildup uh, by Russian forces uh, in the western part of their country and in Belarus. Um, but I, I, I take issue with the idea that this is sort of 11th hour uh, Hail Mary pass-throwing stuff. I, I don't know how you can take issue with the 11th hour when there are senior leaders here and the president have called a Russian invasion imminent. The fact that it is possible that it's imminent doesn't mean that we just woke up to the fact that they had it's been building forces. Imminent. We've been talking about this now for a couple of months, what we've been seeing on the ground. Um, and there have been lots of conversations with us and our NATO allies, as well as our our Ukrainian counterparts. We've read all those out. You can go back and look at the readouts. I mean, it's not like any of this uh, came as some sort of shock, but we have, as we've continued to see— the uh, accumulation of combat power, and as we have now seen uh, that, so far anyway, Mr. Putin has not elected to to de-escalate. And, uh, you know, look, there's, we still believe there's time and space for diplomacy, but thus far it has not achieved the kind of results that the international community would like to see. All that combined has led us to, you know, again, want to contribute more uh, capabilities to Ukrainian armed forces and be ready to contribute more capabilities to our NATO allies.
5: It's a little late for that when you've got nearly 200,000 troops mobilized on the border, but I've never heard the phrase possibly imminent used.
6: <laughs> so it's like uh, Princess Bride. He's only mostly dead. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Well, about- you know if, if Russia does invade, they'll just call it fiery but mostly
2: peaceful as oh, well. Ah, there you go. It's a mostly a uh, minor, a minor. Incursion
5: it's a mostly minor incursion, yeah, there you go, yeah, definitely some uh weird double speak coming from the administration to where it seems like you can't even get the spokesman between the different agencies lined up brings us to last night we've had we we did have some big news, possibly impeachable news. I'm joking because we won't see it until after the midterms. however, there was a phone call. there are some doubts to whether or not it was a perfect phone call. We <laughs> all know who gave. The perfect phone calls. It was Donald Trump, mm-hmm. but the call last night between uh, Joe Biden and the uh, president of Ukraine was anything but. According to leakers, which now we're starting to become something that uh, we're seeing again after nearly a year of non-leaking. Did you
2: say? Listen here, Fat.
5: Listen here, Jack. <laughs> listen here, comrade. But after after nearly a year of not too much leaking, aside from how much they all hate Kamala Harris because she literally beats her staffers, um, we've we've seen more and more now. Unnamed sources coming back to the news cycle and and, and coming out through news outlets like CNN and stuff. Let's hear this breaking news that happened last night that's all but essentially been scrubbed from the Internet.
4: We have breaking news for you and our world lead a senior Ukrainian official tells CNN that today's phone call between President Biden and Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky quote did not go well. Oof. Our source tells CNN that the two disagreed about the immediacy of the threat of a Russian attack on Ukraine. The White House and Pentagon have been emphatic that they believe an attack could be imminent. We should note the White House just released its own readout of that call, and there was no mention of President Biden's warnings or the two presidents' disagreements. The White House did say Biden underscored America's commitment to Ukraine's sovereignty. CNN's Matthew Chance joins us now live from Kiev, Ukraine with more. Matthew, what more are you learning about this disagreement on the Biden Zelensky call? How heated did it
8: get? I'm not sure I could characterize how heated it got, but there was definitely a disagreement about the sort of level of risk that the country is facing uh, when it comes to a, a Russian invasion. On the one hand, you've got President Biden. This is according to an official who briefed me on the, on the conversation that was had on the telephone call uh, this evening. On the one hand, President Biden saying the threat is imminent. I mean, we've heard this before. The Ukrainians pushing back on that, saying that the, uh, the threat, according to their intelligence analysts, is a bit more ambiguous than that. And it's, a, it's possible that the won't be an invasion whereas uh, president biden apparently telling his ukrainian counterpart that an invasion was virtually certain later on in february when the ground uh, becomes uh, uh, more frozen in this country went on to say that he he warned the ukrainian uh, leader that the capital kiev this city here uh, could be sacked and that that's that's the word he apparently used according to this uh, ukrainian official sacked by russian forces who he said may attempt to occupy it. There was also some, some quite bad news uh, delivered, although expected news, I think, delivered uh, by the uh, US president to the Ukrainian side. President Biden, according to this official who, uh, who briefed me on the conversation, uh, saying uh, that he told the Ukrainian leader that Ukraine would not be getting significantly more military help, mm. that there would be no US troops sent to Ukraine to defend it. We already, we already knew that, of course, but it was reiterated again uh, on this phone call. Um, also, no sophisticated weapons, uh, further sophisticated weapons delivered to Ukraine.
5: Well, I mean, like I said, CNN took that tweet down. Thanks to Jack Posobiec for uh, having the receipts and reposting it so we can we can listen to it on the show today. Alex, is it is, is it weird to you to see a lot of the legacy media starting to walk back their defense of this regime right now and start to have those unnamed sources? I mean, they had several quotes from the phone call, which means it had to be someone that was, you know, close to the president himself yesterday. So, uh what do you think when you start seeing like even the people that are really supposed to be packing in that insulation, starting to kind of peel back those layers and and, and bail out at all costs?
6: So, I mean, I think it has taken me off guard, especially because we mentioned earlier that I do the news for uh, for some different shows. Right. And the, the station I work for now is a Fox News station. But used to I did it on a CNN affiliated station. And so kind of getting the the behind-the-scenes look at the way that they attack different stories, uh, I never expected to see a CNN make a shift like this, especially working under that flag under the Trump administration. And and I had to be very selective about clips that I would use from CNN on the news because I, I was legally required to do it. But in order to find something that wasn't just ultra slanted, <laughs> it was always just difficult. But I think... What I take more from this Ukrainian phone call is a little bit less about the media and a little bit more about how this is just another continuation of what I call Joe Biden just getting punked by world leaders on a global stage. Yeah. So you've got these these so-called leaks that are, are coming out now. And and this is so he's getting pumped right now by Ukraine. He got punked last week by Ukraine whenever their president came out and said, you don't need to get Americans out of Ukraine. They're safer here than they are in Los Angeles. (laughs) This comes after Vladimir Putin a few months ago said, no, 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 Joe, after our big summit that you've been hyping up for three weeks, we're going to have separate press conferences and I'm just going to go rip on America and basically tell everybody how much of a dunce you are. And then you've got Boris Johnson openly laughing at Joe Biden and how how for forgetful he is whenever he forgets that he meets the South African president at the G7 summit. And then you have the whole Iran nuclear deal where the Iranian president turns around every day and basically says, yeah, they tried to do talks with us, but this idiot ain't getting anywhere. I mean, every world leader in America disrespects Joe Biden right now. And this is just another. And it's just adding on to the pile. Yeah, I think
5: when uh, people that work in the uh, or that serve in the House and Senate over the course of the first six months of the residency, were saying, you know, whatever spiel they had talking about legislation and stuff like that. And then ended with Let's Go Brandon probably Oof. probably gave the gaslighting green light to uh, a lot of world leaders. And then they they got to see him at a couple summits and uh, just absolutely embarrassed. I would
2: just imagine some of these world leaders that have actually gotten to talk to him <coughs> offline and just been like,
5: what? Really, yeah. Grandpa? Like. Do you really think... Here, that here's hang, your
2: sweater and your slippers. Why don't you go back to bed? They hang up the phone and then
5: call another world leader and be like, yo, <laughs> I'm just <gonna> have to <laughs> phone this guy. Did he do this to yo, you? Ask him about this. It's How hilarious. How many times did he walk away and have to get pulled back? Oof. Don't worry. He is Jill's husband. Uh, well, well, that's okay because people can... There are some who are still remaining loyal up to this part. It's like the, uh, the baker who was on the back end of the Titanic when it was sinking and essentially the last person off. Um, you know it's Jen Saki. she's riding this one to the end and, and and cleaning up all of his messes probably literally and figuratively and uh, God, wait- that's
2: gotta be a depressing job can you imagine just being her and being like oh, I have to fucking defend all this shit again again or-
6: part of me feels bad for like, I I think she's a horrible liar, but I think her job is to lie on behalf of the president. And she might have the hardest job in the country right now. I wouldn't doubt it. Yeah.
2: She's probably just like, fuck, I got to go to work again.
5: And we're going to hear one of those lies right now where she tries to walk uh, as far away from peace through strength and talks about uh, broken relations that that they're trying to rebuild right now. It's happening with Isis that we
6: haven't seen in years launching
7: big attack in Syria, in Iraq. We see people uh, in Afghanistan hungry, starving, freezing. In the United States, um, I'm asking,
6: yesterday you were asking a question, what happened the last year, after one year, president office, in office, uh, in foreign policy, and you say America is back. So, I want, I, my question is,
5: America's back.
6: Just yesterday, we saw so much happening in the world. Is
9: this what American back means? <laughs> Well, ISIS has been a terrorist organization for many years through the course before President Biden took office. They've been terrorizing people uh, for many years. Uh, That is not new as of the last year. Uh, And we have spoken out about that. at every time when it has been appropriate to do exactly that. I would say the President's role over the last year, as I've talked about a bit in here, has been rebuilding our relationships around the world that have been frayed or frayed during the prior four years, uh, reminding other countries around the world that we are a reliable partner, a reliable ally, And the fact that we have had more than 100 engagements uh, with countries around the world at a range of levels and formats, uh, as we look to the aggressive behavior of Russia, speaks to that, speaks to uh, it doesn't happen by accident. That's why we have a united front uh, as we're looking at the potential actions of President Putin. Uh, So I think that speaks to the work the president has done over the past year. Go
5: ahead. All right, let's point out a couple things right here. Mm. So the frayed relationship with Ukraine stems from the Democrats inventing the not perfect phone call, which turned out to be perfect. Okay. You also have the frayed relationships with Russia, who also the Democrats destroyed that relationship by basically and essentially creating the Russiagate scandal and making everything up, saying that Russia was doing all this stuff with Donald Trump, which turned out to be, again, (laughs) <laughs> proven in the Senate to be unequivocally false. You, you have um, the stuff with uh, ISIS and Iran. We can take one a piece or go both together. Donald Trump on three continents and over the course of a year and a half completely destroyed the caliphate, including their leader, um, smeared and then essentially eaten by dogs. Yeah, well, he got smeared all right. And then you had uh, Soleimani, who the Democrats, you know, said, like, hey, those are our friends. We give them pallets of cash. Why are you, why are you vaporizing them on the on the tarmac at the Iraqi airport? <laughs> so, so you have all of these things that the Democrats have created over the last five years, and now they're saying it's uh, because of Donald Trump these relationships were already have been frayed. And it's, uh, you know, something that just stems from their really bad policies and then unequivocal lies. So... Alex, what do you think when you, uh, you hear talking about trying to repair frayed relationships? It might be some projection because, at the end of the day, they're the ones that that essentially frayed those relationships.
6: Yeah, I mean, there's there's so much that we can that we can do with this. <laughs> uh, first off, the the reporter that asked the question She's and the based. way she asked the question super based. was hilarious. Uh, is this what America is back means? I mean, I, I cackled whenever I heard that. Yeah. Uh, but it depends on your definition of afraid uh, if your definition of afraid is there's a lot of countries that don't like us then uh, yeah i mean i think there were a decent bit of countries across the united or across the world that didn't love the united states right. under donald trump but i don't think that's necessarily a bad thing i uh, when it comes to foreign policy i tend to be relatively machiavellian and i'm not I don't necessarily take a Machiave- Machiavellian approach in anything else in life. So, for example, in my interpersonal relationships or I own a business as well, I, I don't necessarily do that. And, of course, whenever I say Machiavellian, I'm referencing his piece, The Prince, where he makes the point that it is better to be feared than loved. Yes. And in most of my life, I don't take that approach. But in foreign policy, I certainly take a Machiavellian approach because Mm -hmm. I believe that there are power vacuums all around the world and I believe that if the United States is feared around the world then it's going to keep totalitarian regimes like China or even authoritarian like Russia from entering into these power vacuums so uh, like I said in the rest of my life no but in terms of foreign policy I take the Niccolo Machiavelli approach of I'd much rather be feared than loved even if it causes a frayed relationship if you want to use that terminology with some of our friends or the world yeah, and you saw that with peace through strength
5: when Donald Trump was in office even all the way up to the bigs like the CCP you know for as much as probably behind closed doors they they swore up and down how much they hated Donald Trump and probably wanted him out of there more than anything he did get them to pay tariffs he did get them to lower the prices a lot of you know products coming from China into this country he did essentially at the end of the day have the Chinese buying rice from. US farmers and and, and it's it's one of those things where it's just it's crazy to see over the course of the last thirteen months how things have changed. Um, getting back, well,
6: if I can interject real quick, he, he did it with Russia too. Yeah, one hundred percent. Just look over the last twenty years with Russia. You have the famous story of George W. Bush at the Olympics and getting the guarantee from Vladimir Putin at the Olympics that, oh, Russia's not going to invade Georgia. Sure, they have a hundred thousand troops on the border, but they're not going to invade Georgia. And then an advisor comes and tells George W. Bush at the Olympics. Hey, Russia just invaded Georgia and <laughs> and then George W. Bush looks down the aisle and looks at Vladimir Putin who just continues watching whatever sport they were watching as if nothing was going on knowing that they had just backstabbed the United States. Then you have Barack skating. Obama who was also relatively yep. weak when it comes to Russia and they invade Crimea but then flash forward to 2016 and you have a similar situation to what we have now not as many troops but you have Russia amassing troops near the Ukrainian border and Donald Trump Trump goes on with George Stephanopoulos and says straight up, Russia will not invade Ukraine. You can take it to the bank. You can take it anywhere you want. He's not going into Ukraine. He took a hard nosed approach because, of course, there's a massive implicit threat behind that statement. And you know what happens? Russia doesn't invade Ukraine. But here we are four or six years later staring down the same situation.
5: Yeah. And I think at the end of the day, it comes down to respect factor for as much as they probably ideologically didn't see eye to eye over the course of the the first Trump presidency. Whenever him and Vladimir Putin were together, it was like, you know, the two chads kind of just loving it up like the the bros that get together for like a uh, bachelor party weekend.
2: It was everything but chest bumping.
5: Right. They're not out there partying and taking beer bongs and stuff, but, you know, you definitely see some kind of chemistry. They're both smiling. They're making fun of other world leaders, you know, probably giving Boris Johnson a wedgie in the (laughs) bathroom and stuff. But uh, it's one of those things where, you know, the peace through strength, you saw it with, like you said, the Russians, the Chinese, the Saudis, Um, you know, people would just kind of bend at the knee to Donald Trump because, it's like when he dealt with ISIS, you know, he, he tried to deal with Baghdadi before he dealt with his great friend Abdul, but he told them like, this is how it's going to go. One serviceman gets killed. And not only are you guys going to die, you're going to die last and every single person that you know and love will die first and it's going to be ugly. And then we'll freeze all your assets, we'll make it as embarrassing as possible and we'll completely, uh, you know, do what we need to do to make sure that, uh, you know, we're holding up our end of the bargain at the end of the day. And It just seems like with this administration right now, I don't know if this guy can even, you know, they say he has three hour Zoom conferences with our allies and I just, I don't see how that mm-hmm. happens at all. I
2: don't all. think he could stay awake that long.
5: Coloring books maybe?
6: IV drip, <laughs> something. God, I'd would love to listen in on one of those conversations.
5: And and if things keep going as can bad, can you do as a
6: FOIA request for the
2: transcripts of those? Do you
5: think possibly, which I think some of them are. You know, and we're circling back to that right now. We're talking about the not so perfect phone call. Jim Banks, who we don't play on the show enough, someone who I think is is definitely in line for probably Speaker of the House, if uh, you know, either right out of the gate after the midterm elections next year, or after Trump goes and does a Hundy. and and takes the gavel away from Sister Nance. Jumped on with Laura Ingram last night to talk about the not perfect phone call. Let's hear him kind of uh, weigh in on it real quick.
9: To defend Ukraine's border when Germany doesn't care. Germany is sending 5,000 helmets (laughs) to uh, Ukraine. So what is this? This is the revenge of the Bushes again? What's Mm. going on?
10: Well, first of all, President Biden and the Biden White House needs to release the transcript transcript of the call of Zelensky. We have no idea. What was said on this call and, and there's no doubt that it was bizarre because it involves this president, which everything that he does is bizarre. But we can't we can't <laughs> afford to fight wars and secure the borders of foreign countries when we can't secure the border of our own country. And uh, that that needs to be our focus at the
3: moment. Well, come-
5: well, you guys think I mean, pretty accurate there. Yeah. And it's something that we've been talking about, you know, for weeks now as this uh, troop buildup is kind of amassed um, general pronouns. And uh, secretary pronouns. General pronouns. They held a joint presser today to talk about, well, a lot of the inconsistencies that we're hearing in the news, like, we, like we've already covered. Invasion is imminent. Ukraine president comes out today and uh, Zelensky kind of says, eh, not so much. They're, Russian troops are going to be occupying uh, Kiev and and Zelensky's also, huh? no, that's definitely not happening either. Again, we've been feuding with these people for, you know, over 100 years. We got to kind of walk it back a little bit and then. You're just hearing a lot of doublespeak. Um, General Milley tried to be as tough as possible. Hopefully he didn't break it now. They were probably manicured shortly before the press conference. Let's hear him give a quickie uh, from today.
11: It's the policy of the United States government to continue to support an independent Ukraine and their goals. And we are continuing our effort to enhance their ability to protect themselves. We strongly encourage Russia to stand down. And to pursue a resolution through diplomacy.
5: Now, as far as I know, Russia technically is standing down.
2: So did Millie send him like a pink taser or something or what? Oh, gosh, some kind of
5: a gift basket with like, uh, what are those things, bath bombs? And mm. oh, I, I use this exfoliating <laughs> scrub on my back. It works so eloquently. This will
2: really protect you.
5: Yeah. It's just really silly to hear this kind of stuff going on. And at the end of the day, I think one of the things we miss the most as uh, we wrap up this segment on the wagging of the dog going horribly wrong. is the foreign policies of Donald Trump. He jumped on with Glenn Beck this morning, and Glenn pressed him on kind of, well, if you were still in the Oval Office right now, what would this entire situation, which has been developing since last year, essentially look like? Alex kind of gave a teaser on it by saying, you know, Russia will not invade Ukraine, but let's hear 45 weigh in on it himself.
11: I believe that he wasn't going, he was doing it to negotiate. And then he saw these people... Uh, falling all over themselves not to be involved. And he said, wow, I can go in here easy. So I think it's much different. I think two weeks ago he had no intention of doing it. He was just negotiating and doing his shtick, which he likes to do. And now he's seeing it's like it's like a clear path because of the stupid people he's dealing with.
10: And is there <laughs> – what would you say to Putin now – If if you were talking to him,
11: I must tell you, I was asked a question last night. I said, I wouldn't want to tell you what I tell him, because, you know, you got you can't tell everything. You know, you're playing a very highly sophisticated game of poker and, you know, you can't go out to the public and say, I would tell him this or I would tell him that you got to do what you have to do and tell him things that are very tough. And but you can't reveal that to Mm -hmm. the public until maybe after it's all done. Yeah. But I think there are ways of talking him out of it. One of the things that you mentioned was so important is I drove the price of oil down, and that really hurt Russia and was killing OPEC. And now we're going back to OPEC because we don't have oil. It's amazing. It's not even believable. We were energy independent just a year ago, and we were going to be double the size of both. And now we're like a bunch of... uh, we're like a bunch of beggars. We're going back to OPEC and asking them to give us oil. We're going to Russia. You know, they're they're giving oil to the East Coast. Can you believe it? Yep. We had so much oil, we didn't know what to do with it, Glenn. I drove the price down. In fact, I drove it down so low, I had to get it back up a little bit for the industry itself, right? But uh, that was killing for Russia, what I did.
5: Alex, you miss him every day.
6: <laughs> I didn't realize it until he was gone.
5: Yeah. It's one of those things that I think a lot of people who might not have been, you know, super aligned with either the MAGA movement or, you know, everybody's America first at the end of the day. It's, it's how you identify with how much of an America first person you are. Some things only interest some people. But, you know, when you talk about it on a geopolitical scale, it's definitely something that I think we all hurt in the uh, geopolitical wallet with right now because we we're racking up some debt and, and it's something. getting it's getting pretty ugly.
6: Go ahead. Something I pulled from that, and this this isn't necessarily a, a geopolitical conversation, so I might stray us away, but I found it really interesting, and I think this comes from just a, a view on life, that he called it a high-stakes game of poker. Oh, yeah. I think a lot of people will often, especially in Hollywood and whatnot, you see life compared to a chess game. I mean, chess is always used as a metaphor in television and books and movies and everything, uh, but I've always kind of been on the train that, life isn't chess, life is poker. Mm -hmm. Because in chess, you can always go back and find, if you lose, here's the point where I moved wrong and here's where everything went from there. Uh, There's not always the unknown in chess. While in poker, there is always the unknown. And I think that's more representative of life. And I think even just that quick little remark was a bit of an insight into his view on life as a whole. And I don't know, I know that's nitpicky, but, but that stuck out to me.
5: No, it's it's definitely a great analogy and uh
2: if we're using that analogy, then I'm envisioning in my head Joe Biden sitting there with his cards facing the wrong way. Joe Biden's playing Uno. Yeah.
5: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there it's all unknown. My kids have this game, it's called I think it would be right up his alley. It's called like goat cheese taco something. What? So you, you get like a whole bunch of cards and there's maybe it's like an Uno for like smaller kids and each card has like a picture of like some kind of animal on it. And, but the, the rule of the game is you have to say like goat cheese, pizza, taco, like in a row, regardless of what the cards are. And the cards all represent like a different animal or a different food. And so let's just say I have like, you know, a whale. I'll, I'll say goat and then if somebody else has like the same well it's like uno for little kids but they use animals instead of numbers and they have like the, a whale but it, it's a different color they can like change the color to that and you kind of have to get rid of all your colors and, and it's funny but i think that might well actually now that i'm trying to explain it to you it might not it might, be, yeah, it might be yeah it might be way too hard but it took my kids a little while to get one. but yeah they, they like playing that one and listen as an adult after one game you're just like all right have to throw on the Disney Plus but you know the first time because there's things like if, if you're trying to get rid of your cards and you flinch then you have to like eat all the cards that are in the pile and it's like there's some funny things there's like one card where you have to like beat your chest like a gorilla and knock on the table like a groundhog so now that I think about it Joe Biden definitely couldn't play goat cheese taco pizza for sure oh man so this is where we're kind of at
2: the name of that game sounds like something he would say though
5: yeah uh, maybe if he was playing poker he might say goat or, or cheese or banging on his chest like a gorilla. I could definitely <laughs> see something like that happening. But the good news is we're going to be able to segue from the wagon of the dog and directly into an America First interview with Adam Lexall, who's jumping in right now and getting ready to join us. All right, joining us today on this Friday edition of Steak for Breakfast, he's the former attorney general in the great state of Nevada. He's the son of a senator, grandson of a governor, Iraqi war veteran and a Trump-endorsed candidate for the U.S. Senate, Mr. Adam Lexalt. Thanks for joining us on Steak for Breakfast today.
12: Thanks, Ron. Appreciate, appreciate you having me on.
5: Oh, no, sir. It's our pleasure. We're glad to finally be able to sit down with you. How are you doing?
12: Well, look, uh, every single day we keep getting more and more bad news out of President Biden and uh, and our, our D.C. ruling class, and so uh, I'm not doing great. <laughs> I, think, uh, I think we're suffering greatly. The I know Nevada voters are very upset with what's going on and um, but let's let's hope we have a 2022 wave election to start reversing this tide as quickly as possible.
5: You know, for as bad as things are in the country right now, every single day you go out, you track some of these campaigns, these America first candidates, a lot of them, small business owners like yourself, former veteran and, uh, you know, who wanted to live their lives, get away from government, retire from their jobs right off into the sunset with their families, and they just see the way that this country's going, and they said, not anymore, and wind up throwing their names back in the, uh, in the hat to get in the ring here to uh, save America, and you're definitely one of them right now. So, you know, y- you worked on the Trump campaigns as well uh, in Nevada, and, uh, you know, what was that motivating factor to finally say, enough is enough, I'm going to get back in here, and I'm going to run for a senator there, try and get this Senate back into the uh, conservatives' Save America, America First numbers, and uh, make a run for 2022. You
12: know, so, yeah, I was the, the chair of the Trump campaign in 2020. And, um, you know, I spent the whole year trying to fight for voters. And, um, you know, had a lot of people that, uh, you know, still weren't necessarily engaged uh, or weren't paying enough attention. And um, and then you had all the people that were being swayed by the media that were falling for this whole Scranton Joe <laughs> Uh, you know, moderate. He's going to unify people. And, um, you know, we just battled away. We tried convincing folks that if President Biden were to be elected, that our country would go dramatically in the wrong direction. And But, you know, they pulled out all the stops. Uh, you, you guys may remember this because it was national news. But uh, the president of the United States was unable to host a rally in this state. Yeah. They would They would name a venue. And then a bunch of things would happen behind the scenes, and everyone would get pressured to cancel the event. And so we had our big Northern Nevada rally canceled. And then we had to scramble to find a new venue. And I was able to find an a, 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 a airstrip in, in rural Nevada that was willing to take him. And, you know, think about this. this this is so important for the time we're in. I have to call a particular guy, and he says, Oh, so the president of the United States wants to land and come visit. Our, our, our airport, come visit our county, you know, of course, great. And I said, well, hold on. Before you say yes, you know, you need to understand what's going to come. You know, they're going to try to cancel you. They're going to try to take your money. They're going to try to pull funding and all this kind of stuff. And so, you know, you, you need to really consider this because uh, once you say yes, there's no turning back. And God bless it. You know, the guy was like, we're in, you know, President of the United States. But I mean, think about how bizarre 2020 was yeah. that – You know, we have COVID crashing. You've got blue states that are basically not allowing a president to visit and deliver a message. You know, our Democrat governor shut down the state. And, you know, I called as early as May um, that we shouldn't be shut down. The state can't be shut down. You, You can leave it up to individual businesses. People can make their own decisions. But, of course... You know they they plowed directly on, and then what do they do with that? We lose so many jobs in Southern Nevada. Yeah, all of those strip jobs are lost, and so I'm thinking, all right, well, finally, all these voters are going to blame the Democrats for <laughs> these terrible lockdown policies, right? Well, you guys may remember the Democrats' message at the time was Donald Trump's fault. He's not doing enough for COVID. Yep, it's his fault that why you lost your job. And I was thinking at the time, like, God, there's no way anyone's going to buy that. Uh, But apparently, you know, some slice of voters really thought it was his fault. I think the good news is that now we're a year out. A lot of those jobs never came back. A lot of those Hispanic small businesses never reopened. And guess who is in charge? We have a Democrat governor, a Democrat House, a Democrat Assembly, a Democrat president, Democrat Senate, Democrat House of Representatives, and it's 100% their fault. And so the media can't cover for them. They're going to try. We all know. Mm. Uh, But the media can't do what it did in 2020 and basically blame the pandemic on Republicans. And so uh, we're seeing an awakening here. I think people are really, really fed up. We're one of only a handful of states that still have mask mandates. You know, you walk into these places and you're like, God, how are we still putting on masks, uh, considering all the information we have about masks. Right. Um, but, um, you know, here's, here we are. Um, and, and I think the good news is while some of this is doom and gloom, uh, I'm not happy it took so long Mm -hmm. for people to come around, but boy are people coming around, you know, people are really waking up to the, all of these hypocrites, and all the different rules they play by, then they expect all of us to play by, um, and they know that it's hurting our kids. It has our schools in trouble, um, and and it's you know imagine they're they're firing healthcare workers yep. that survived the pandemic and were the front line because they've made their own medical decision uh, against the orthodoxy. I mean, what in the world are we going through right now? But as we know, Joe Rogan. You know, some of these guys that have uh, cut against the mold, you know, they're becoming massive for a reason. You guys have a big show for a reason, right? Because you guys are willing to say something different. And uh, it's just a great opportunity to get people engaged, get them motivated, and hopefully win them over for a generation. Uh, Hopefully the Democrats rue this for a really, really long time.
5: Now, I I know you, you mentioned you worked on the Trump campaign and you talked about how weird 2020 was. Uh, one of the things that uh, we we always talk about and you know we've had so many former Trump administration officials on Cash Patels the Peter Navarros, Mandamilius's, John Gibbs, uh, even people who are in the media now like Christina Bob who worked in the administration and then on the uh, election stuff following after we, we saw some really big weird anomalies in, in a lot of different states whether it would be Circumvision, uh, circumvention of state laws in regards to, you know, their constitutions and, and changing voter laws, the nationwide free-for-all mail-in-balling that was rampant, especially in blue states. Mark Zuckerberg and the uh, the drop boxes and the ballot harvesting and stuff like that. We know for sure after, after tracking it for so long and having such extensive coverage with our other guests we've had on that there was definitely some funny business going on in the 2020 presidential election, probably enough to have prevented – president trump from getting a second consecutive term how do you want to weigh in on what's going on with the uh election stuff in nevada and, and what would you like to see moving forward for the midterm elections
12: yeah absolutely so nevada was a little bit different from you know say pennsylvania there's right. some breaking news from pennsylvania today about their law uh, perhaps is unconstitutional uh you know in our case you had a Democrat governor, Democrat assembly, Democrat Senate that went into a special session mm-hmm. and they gave us a new voting system. And so other states, they just kind of changed the rules through executive order uh, and, and they had, you know, different fish to fry, if you will. But right. here, 80 days out, they did an emergency session and this thing started Friday afternoon. Mm-hmm. I kid you not. And, you know, happened over a weekend uh, where they took. A Nevada election that was pretty traditional we had in-person voting we had two weeks of early votes and we had absentee I hope your listeners know the difference between absentee and, and universal mail by now um but you know it was very traditional uh they go in they give us universal mail out balloting they give us ballot harvesting they give us drop boxes you know it was the works uh with no republican votes yep. no support from the the election of the secretary of state at the time and so You know, we know what they were doing, right? We had that, plus we had Zuckerberg's kick in here. Uh, I could tell you that I was jumping up and down. So I, I remember putting a tweet out about what they were doing with this special session. And within an hour, the president retweeted me. So I had like, you know, 40 million views on this thing. And it was like, what is going on in Nevada? How in the world are they changing the election? And the best way I like to explain it is, if you are a major company, And you have your biggest product launch in the history of your company.
13: Mm -hmm.
12: Is there any company in the world that would change everything before that product launch? Eighty days out, (laughs) no. Because this was the biggest election in the history of our state. Everyone knew that it was going to be the most consequential. It's going to be the biggest turnout, and they changed the rules with eighty days to go. And for those people that follow mail, and I became on the fly, uh, you know, would be. You know try to be an expert on this thing but you know for states that do mail um, it takes them years to get this system right Yep. and that should make sense to your to your listeners right so in las vegas they're going to mail out hundreds of thousands of ballots to this to the whole voter roll and you know, what do you expect, right? These voter rolls were never clean. They were never perfect. They never were meant for mail. And so we were putting out pictures of hundreds of ballots at the bottom of apartment buildings. We were, people would send us a picture from one apartment with 19 ballots. They'd line them up and take a picture. And and so we're jumping up and down. And what am I, I'm getting the tagged by Twitter, Facebook with all the, censor things that all elections are safe and there's never been any uh problems any elect any election in the history of mankind all that kind of stuff that you guys are well aware of and um you know and in the end of the day they got they got to it early um and 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 they changed the system and as a result i mean people feel like um you know we had a very unsafe system and um, people are very, very unhappy. And I might add, we have no voter ID in the state. So, oh, wow. you know, we're moving to this crazy COVID world where you need to show your papers to go into a restaurant, some sort of COVID police state. Um, but these same people will not yield on voter ID. They will not yield on it. Uh, and in our state, 80 percent, if it went on the ballot, 80 percent of the people would support it because, of course, it makes sense. There's, mm-hmm. there's no reason that we don't have that kind of, uh, you know, protection for our elections. But that's where we are.
5: Yeah, it certainly is. And uh, one thing that we'd hope to uh, see, you know, either we're going to clean it up a little bit and have more oversight, more people at the uh, at the polls and, and work in the ballots. Not working the ballots, Mark Zuckerberg style, Meh. but working the ballots in general, uh, you know that have uh, you know connections to your campaign and the overall conservative movement. And then we're going to hope to see you know the Zuckerbucks get kicked out of the state, and uh, let's just overwhelm them at the ballot box. You know that's that's one of the things that you know we saw overwhelmingly in Virginia most recently uh, with the governor's race there, and, and we're hoping come the fall. If the f- things keep going the way they're going with the, uh, the COVID stuff, the national defense stuff, the southern border stuff, the economy stuff, you can't think that a lot of people, especially in a place with a huge economy like Vegas, which we're going to touch on in a second, uh, you know, they'd like to see a big time change and someone who's really going to support, uh, you know, support the economy like you will. I do want to touch on your, uh, your,
2: uh, well, back to the ID thing real quick. I just remember the first time I ever voted as a kid, <clears throat> like, a, like a, a young adult, I uh-huh. guess. Well, there uh, you go. Good save. Yeah. <laughs> uh I just remember walking in in California to vote and you know just instinctively reaching in for my wallet to show my ID and I was dumbfounded when I didn't have to show anything and it's like that's from somebody a critical thinker who had knows nothing about politics at that point other than you know what I'd read about the candidates that I was about to vote for it's just amazing that it doesn't make more sense to more people All right all right or are they just a Refuse to admit it because
12: well, yeah, look, and, and the media refuses to do their job and put a little scrutiny on this stuff, you know. I, I did I was on Bannon's on with Steve Bannon War Room yesterday, oh, okay, and uh we, we were talking about some of this stuff. I'm on a you know, I'm on one show and it landed on the front page of, of, of our papers, okay. And um, you know, their media is of course unhappy that I'm I'm still talking about problems that you know we, we could have in our election well guess what was not on in the paper the yep. filibuster vote a week before imagine that. you know the same the same vote that in arizona was wall-to-wall coverage uh we have the same thing here right we have a hugely important swing state center race we have a senator that uh, you know has a lot of pressure on whether she's going to stick with biden or whether she's going to you know try to placate the middle she sticks with Biden. She votes to break the filibuster, um, and just crickets. And so, yeah, it's very, very frustrating. Um, and but, but again, the good news: credit to, to Donald Trump on this, right? Uh, all the consultants, all of the typical kind of uh, you know political class, uh, all thought that he shouldn't attack the media. They all thought, oh don't ever fight back against the media. You never win that war. But. Since he started that fight for us, uh, it raised the temperature of people understanding that the media is just simply not reliable. There are so few media outlets that are actually covering news. Yep. And, you know, they changed the election here. Why wasn't the media asking a million questions? You know, why weren't they in there in the weeds? They just didn't want to ask any questions. Right. And so and they still don't want to ask questions. So anyway, it's uh, but you're right. Uh, in the end of the day, we're seeing such a massive red environment right now. We're seeing our people super fired up. We're seeing independents uh, beyond fed up with the direction of our country. We've got plenty of blue collar Democrats and soft Democrats uh, that they've had their their jobs taken or their their lives hurt or or perhaps their kids kids schooling was 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 interrupted. I mean, these people have had it up to here uh, and, I, and I think we're, we're due for a tsunami here in Las Vegas.
5: Yeah, I think uh, you're know, you you're right on a lot of those things and that's the next thing I want to touch on with your uh, your opponent in the midterm elections. I've been tracking her numbers lately and seeing that, you know, especially with in- independence, she's not showing too much favorability, but within her own party, it's, you know, going into a midterm election season, which should be kind of a slam dunk uh, for someone that, you know, supposedly was voted in there, you know, back in, uh, her last election cycle, she's not doing too well. You want to touch on her and kind of some of the things that, that you're seeing with the numbers that, uh, you know, she's showing right now in the polls.
12: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look for your listeners may not know who my opponent is, uh, Senator Catherine Cortez Masto. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you may remember, uh, in 2016 when Senator Harry Reid decided to retire, all of a sudden this became this massive race and this is his handpicked successor, Uh, She's in her first term. And, uh, you know, the bottom line is, as you know, all the Democrats, they just they just they tend to be so phony on this. She talks a moderate game, uh, but she votes with Biden and Chuck Schumer and the Pelosi agenda 100 percent of the time. That's just that's what she does. And um, but despite all that, I think you're what you're bringing up is there was a big front page Las Vegas Paper story that said that ages eighteen to thirty six, she was at twenty eight percent.
13: Yeah, <laughs> and
12: so you are like, wow. I mean, we don't own that poll, so we can't dig into it and kind of see what's going on there. But I think we all know she's supposed to be winning that demographic. Um, and is that because this whole demographic, because of COVID, is just so fed up and they're waking up, which 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 would be a generational change. Um, or is that demographic just so incredibly woke? Uh, even though she's one of the most <laughs> liberal voting records we've ever had in this state, uh, they still think that uh, she's not woke enough for her. And so, um, you know, we don't know what's going on underneath, but we know that she's got big trouble. We had, there was an NBC poll that had me up four head to head. There was yep. a Trafalgar poll. Uh, your, your your viewers may recognize Trafalgar that, oh, yeah. that got the president right in, in 16. Um, and so they had a step three. I'm one of two challengers in the country right now that is ahead today. Herschel Walker and I are yep. both ahead. That's because we've got a lot of good name ID because President Trump's supporting us because, you know, we have uh, f- filled out bases. Uh, but, you know, generic Republicans are winning in other states. We don't have actually candidates on the ballot right now that have enough aim, name ID to be winning those races. And so that's why we're in such a unique position. Why this race is right for the picking, and I, I do ask your listeners to get in early, support early, help us build this momentum and keep this momentum all the way through November. Uh, but that—that's what—that's what we care about. We want to make sure that we have people super excited to be engaged in the process. Oh yeah, super excited to know they got a fighter. That—that that, you know, when I was attorney general, we we fought against uh, uh, Barack Obama every single day. We sued on you name it. We sued on on uh, immigration. We sued on sanctuary cities. We sued on Second Amendment. In fact, we sued in California multiple times yep. on uh, then trying to lock down people being able to you know, have a right to carry outside their homes and things like that. Uh, so, so we were already a conservative, one of these conservative fighting AGs. And then, of course, 2020 was a knockdown drag out where a lot of Republicans, I might add, in the state, um, they were in office or former[s] nowhere to be found, right? I mean, a lot of them were just kind of waiting Trump out. They wanted to wait for the post-Trump era or whatever they think uh, was going on, right? Um, and uh, you know, we tried to recruit some of these people, but in the end of the day, they they wanted to sit it out. So there was only a few of us uh, that were battling away with this giant state. Um, and you know, we battle right right till the end. And unfortunately, we you know we fell we fell a little short.
5: Yeah, no, I, I completely understand that. And it seems like a lot of those people who may have been sitting on the sidelines are, like you said, kind of r- riding out the end of the uh, first Trump administration or now, man, I bet you they miss it. Bet you they miss it at the gas pump. They probably we'll never admit it. Miss it when they go to get some groceries at the grocery store or uh, you know, want to send their kids to school without masks and not having to worry about getting them vaccinated. Uh, and if the, them as the parents are going to have a decision like that, Um, One of the other things I want to touch on you with, I think it's really important right now. We've seen some expose work from Fox News this week, but, you know, we've worked with a couple different people. The Daily Caller, Jorge Ventura, has done some excellent work himself and has joined us on our show uh, several times. Let's talk about the southern border. Uh, It is beyond out of control. We saw some really damning numbers this week. We saw it so bad that, you know, there was some uh, leaked audio that when the— Secretary of Homeland Security came down to the southern border and decided to swing by a couple of the uh, stations out there. He, he stopped in Yuma and was basically booed out of there <laughs> by the Border spot. Patrol agents. Um, you know, it's the border, whether it's crime, whether it, how it affects blue-collar families with the, with the jobs, whether it's COVID and, you know, just people coming in from all parts of the third world and getting shipped into all these cities all over the country. And, uh, you know, we've seen so many things, murders happen, rapes happen with refugees and stuff like that. How can you weigh in on the border and what do you think, uh, you know, every state's a border state now. Being in Nevada, we can do to probably, uh, you know, get our hands a little bit on this uh, some better once you get into the Senate.
12: Well, look, uh, the, the Mayorkas being booed is not nearly enough. <laughs> no, um, it's it's it's, you know, the bottom line is the guy should resign. And uh, and if not that we, we should move to impeach him mm-hmm. uh, after we take a majority in the U.S. Senate, because there's there's not a clear case than someone that is refusing to uphold the law like how complicated is this right congress passes the law presidents sign it you have to follow it and these democrats think that they get to disregard any laws they do not like if you want to change the rules use the democratic system and go change them and these people are running over they said they're basically not going to do any enforcement actions um and and you know what's going on in the border you you have Kamala Harris and Nancy Pelosi just this week giving these impassioned speeches about how they believe in territorial integrity (laughs) and they believe in national sovereignty. It's like, wait a minute, I've been saying that for a really long time, except they're not talking about America. Now they're (laughs) talking about Ukraine. And you're like, how hard is it for these people to understand this is all we want? We want national sovereignty. We want territorial integrity. That is a foundation of a republic. If we don't have that, we don't have anything. And so what comes with that? We have certainly we have increase in drug trafficking. Yes. You know, I had uh, I was in rural Nevada just last week. He had this smaller county rural sheriff that had to pull over 250 pounds of drug trafficking coming through his highway and it's like these guys aren't equipped for that and that's incredibly dangerous right this this is how guys like this we lose police out in the streets um but what is the biden administration what is my opponent Catherine cortez masto doing about drugs pouring over that border and i mind you i I remind your listeners that if they didn't know my opponent was a former attorney general Mm -hmm. i took over her office in (laughs) fact and and it was a disaster when i took took it over by the way uh, that's for another another time, but um, she campaigned. All they, all people need to do is think about Kamala Harris. Remember how Kamala Harris campaigned that she was a law and order, uh, you know, Democrats and all oh, that phoniness. Mm. Like she said, she was against drug trafficking, against human trafficking, all these things. Well, now that they are all time spikes, and we have people dying in our communities from drug overdoses, we have kids being trafficked as we speak in our state is she standing up for them is she standing up for the vulnerable in our population is she being a true moderate and centrist and breaking from her party when she clearly should crickets absolute crickets how about when we had the blm riots in 2020 yeah you know we had a we had a police officer shot in the head yep. initially it was reported that he died uh and and he he ended up living but he's paralyzed for life and you know was she calling that stuff out no of course not and, and
5: she was, so she was helping bail uh, them out <laughs> yeah
12: you know it's just uh and, and now she's like soft pedaling like some grants to cops and the media are dutifully reporting that she's giving money to law enforcement and and like the law enforcement is not going to buy it our police no. aren't going to buy it they're with me they know democrats have so damaged their profession, uh, they've made them less safe. I can't even imagine the f- spouses and husbands and children of law enforcement. Those people will never go back to Democrats because they've legitimately made the daily lives of law enforcement less safe. Mm-hmm. And uh, but this is this is why we have a reckoning coming. You right. know, people Big are it's, it's all coming to head. Uh, I remember after the Yunkin election, everybody wanted to focus on uh, critical race theory in schools, uh, which by the way, are a big deal. Uh, I've spoken out in school boards uh, and, and we certainly are, are, are going to fight against that. I said at the time we, we would make part of my Senate office uh, you know, a hotline so we can help highlight these things.
5: Awesome. Mm-hmm.
12: But, but all that said, uh, yeah, I like to think that, that uh, Youngkin just announced that a few days ago. That he actually stole it, that he stole it from me. So I know <laughs> we've been talking about it for weeks. Yeah, good. Um, but, um, you know, what then I say is, but that's not the only issue. There's issue after issue after issue. Uh, and I think they're all on a scale of 1 to 10 at like a 9 or a 10. Uh, you know, I think these cultural issues are important. I think it's important that Republicans learn to get on offense and fight to save our communities, fight to save our values. Um, but then you also add in, um, you know, inflation and these and, and these pocketbook issues. I mean, it's it's brutal in Vegas. Sure is. I mean, the, the, the gas prices are soaring. Everything is up. Uh, the we're, we're number fifty on unemployment still. A lot of those small businesses have not come back. And so, um, you know, there, there isn't a lot of hope in this state right now, um, but the good news is, again, uh, we're about to experience a, a red wave and uh, hopefully we can inspire change and get people motivated to be part of that.
5: Yeah, like we've never seen before. Last thing I want to touch on you real quick, you can make it a hot take kind of a quickie because you are a veteran and and we are some seeing a lot of theaters heating up across the world. You know, we've seen some stuff with Iran. Of course, I think uh, the CCP put out a statement today saying that if Taiwan was going to continue to move towards independence, you were going to see some military action, and, and that would include involving the United States. And then, of course, you've got the big wag of the dog going on right now with uh, – the Ukraine border, the last thing I think anybody wants to see in this country right now after the year that we've gone through post-COVID now, first year of the Biden regime, is to have young men, servicemen and women coming home in body bags defending a border when ours is wide open. What's your hottest take you can give on the Ukraine situation, given the recent developments we've had today all the way up through that embarrassing presser with uh Austin?
12: My take is our first, second, third, fourth, fifth priority needs to be America. Uh, we have a country to save right now. Our country is going dramatically in the wrong direction. And so I fully understand the geopolitical uh, issues with Ukraine and Russia. Uh, it's a serious deal. yeah. Um, but, but the reality is that this is what our country looks like under Joe Biden. <laughs> and those of us that jumped up and down for Afghanistan, and we said that that terrible leadership which was the only way we could have lost service members the way they took us out of afghanistan i think hopefully we all know by now is the only way we could have lost service members but that disgrace of withdrawal invited these activities around the world and for all of the people that were so critical of donald trump and always said that america wasn't viewed well in the eyes of the world and all of this stuff I mean, wow, what a stark difference to oh, yeah. see where we are today. Yep. We are not respected in the world today. We, we have no peace through strength. Uh, I mean, just listen to this president speak, and no one is going to be scared of this guy. They've got to be wondering who in the world is calling the shots. Uh, <laughs> I'm wondering, and I know all the, a lot of voters are wondering who in the world is making these decisions. And so this Ukraine thing you're telling me with all the access to intelligence and briefings and stuff that we don't have, they didn't know this thing was brewing. Right. You know, they did they couldn't get in front of this six months ago and they sent weapons like a few days ago. Um, and so it, this administration is inviting this. Um, but no, no question that I don't think our voters are in any way ready to no put people in harm's way, uh, and start another, long foreign entanglement and so these guys better get this right and uh they better do you know whatever else they can to try to stop this uh but but there's just no way that the people want on actual military incursion right now
5: yeah we hope they can walk that fine line up through uh you know january of next year and when all you guys get into the beltway and start really gumming up this radical progressive agenda from the Oval Office, well, the I, fake Oval I Office. I think we've already it,
2: established that yeah, they don't care what the voters want.
5: That they have built right now, no. And it's definitely not the voters that they care about either. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll see this country getting back in the right direction. Adam, this was awesome getting to sit down with you today. We'd, of course, love between now and and the midterm election. i ha- like to have you back for an update in a couple months. Uh, it was awesome coordinating with, uh, you know, John, get everything set up. And then, uh, of course, you came heavily regarded by one of your great friends cash patel um who's a regular guest on this show i think he's going to be joining us again next friday and uh, we will definitely be speaking your high praises so uh why don't you tell all of our listenership where they could find you across social medias we'll get some people donating to that campaign knocking on doors sharing your social medias etc
12: great yeah thank you so it's adam Laxalt.com, l-a-x-a-l-t uh same for twitter facebook getter you name it uh and as long as you mention cash patel i'll get a plug in we've got cash patel we have former ambassador Rick Grinnell Oof. and uh, former AG Matt Whitaker nice. in Las Vegas next weekend, Friday, Saturday, we've got America first tour. We're going to do Henderson, Summerlin and Pahrump. And so that's all Adamlaxell.com too. Uh going to be three great rally stops. Uh, I think people are going to be really excited to see those folks. They've been fighting so hard for our country and uh, help, help get people motivated for my campaign. Again, AdamLaxall.com. Sounds
5: nice. amazing. We'll live link everything in the show description today, and we'll forward everything on to uh, you after the show when it's uploaded this evening. So thanks for joining us, and uh, best of luck in the uh, rally season as we're getting into it right now. This is the former Attorney General of Nevada who's now running for a Senate seat. Mr. Adam Laxall, thanks for joining us on Steak for Breakfast.
12: Thanks, guys. Appreciate it.
5: All right, what do you guys think of Adam Laxall? I thought he was uh, more than solid. Yeah, I like it. Former Attorney General of uh, Nevada, Trump endorsed, and uh, doing pretty well in the polls. I, I I'm, I'm think it's going to be, uh, he gave us a lot of great information. Solid,
2: on, uh, solid candidate.
5: On his platform, definitely someone that upholds uh, those Trump-era policies, and uh, someone who we'll definitely be looking to have back as the uh, midterm election season heats up. What also is heating up right now is the Supreme Court. Yes. Now, at the end of the day, the demographics of the Supreme Court may change, but the uh, votes aren't going to. Five four six three. regardless of who's gonna replace Justice Breyer who announced his uh, well he, he was kind of forced probably gun or knife point to you know announce his retirement uh, this week uh, won't change pretty much anything to do with the Supreme Court except via face and obviously gender according to Joe Biden um, he was pressed this week after a speaking event and after the Biden administration, released ahead of Justice Breyer releasing it, that he was going to retire. I heard it kind of pissed him off. But again, those anonymous sources have just been killing him lately. Let's hear him try to uh, incoherently weigh in as he's peppered by the media after a speaking event. Justice
11: Breyer
6: is going
13: to retire. Thank you. Thank you.
6: Thank you. Let's go. Thank you. Thank, Your thank you. Thank on you. Thank you. Thank, thank you
10: guys. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Thank you. I
5: hate those people. His mic's off. They have to turn it back on.
10: Justice
0: has the right and opportunity to decide what he or she is going to do to announce it on their own. There has been no announcement from Justice Breyer. Let him make whatever statement he's going to make. And I'll be happy to talk about it later. Thank you so much. Mr. Mr. President. So,
3: we're going to.
0: I'll be happy to talk about this later. I'm going to get into this issue, okay?
5: Always wants to talk about everything later. By the way, Peter Doosie is a stupid son of a bitch. Yeah, he certainly is. Oh, I just hit that clip. Nice. So that, that's kind of how it started. You know, uh, there there were rumors uh, now that the writing is on the wall in regards to the midterm elections that, you know, the, the Democrats are going to lose the Senate and probably lose it big. Um, and, and with that, you have a very short window of time, essentially nine months, to not only nominate but get through confirmation hearings and have voted in a replacement to the Supreme Court. Because after, you know, January of 2022, there's going to be no Biden legislation that's passed other than executive orders moving forward. I don't see any kind of bipartisanship happening after the way the, the first year uh, was and the second year has started off to an awful start. And, and with no, the, it's fine with the amount of house seats that we're setting up to win and, and a big swing in the Senate, you know, you just look at uh, right off the bat Lexall and Greitens, those two, those two are going to win for sure. And there's a couple of them out there. We could see, you know, maybe 54, 55, 56 seats, in the the Senate come January of 2023. Um, Alex, what's your take on on kind of the the changing of the guard of the Supreme Court right now? Like, it's not going to change anything really to vote, but moving forward and down the road and and probably affecting other presidents, as this is a lifetime appointment, you know, it it could affect the numbers maybe, you know, in a different presidency, in a different era down the road, and, uh, you know, people like uh, Clarence Thomas and and, and, um, uh, the Chief Justice being off the Supreme Court probably in the next 10 years or so.
6: Yeah, I kind of tend to align with what you guys were saying in that, look, it doesn't I really don't care who he nominates because we already know how they're going to vote. They're going to appoint someone that's going to legislate from the bench and going to side with the Democrats regardless. So it doesn't really matter who he nominates. Uh, I, I mean. I, I think because their standard is black woman. Yes. Uh, if I was Clarence Thomas right now, I would just come out and say that I identify as a woman and say, there we go. We have our first black woman on the Supreme court. Now let's go out and let's have a real search for Supreme court justice. That doesn't have to do with race uh, or gender, but that's not going to happen. I do have some proposals of my own though. If their only standard here is going to be black woman, then I've got some that, that I would approve of that we can put on the Supreme court. I'll start with my girl, uh, Stephanie Davis. Or maybe Ada Brown, both were both our federal judges right now that were both appointed by Donald Trump. So if that's our only standard here, black woman, I can go for both of those. Or uh, I mean, George W. Bush, he, he had a handful of black women that he nominated and that were appointed to federal justice or federal judgeships, and uh, many of them, even though they're older, they're still kicking. I'll take any of them too. I mean, we've got Mary Stinson. Uh, oh God, what's? I think there's a Vanessa Bryant, not yep. like. Kobe Bryant's wife, but I think there's a Vanessa Bryant also that that has some pretty good credentials behind her. So yeah, I mean, any of those four women, let's let's go with them. Let's go with them. They'll vote the way I want, and they fit your criteria of black woman. Let's do it.
5: Yeah, unfortunately, some of the names that were immediately floated out there were you know people who aren't even judges or lawyers. They're just black women and radical progressives. uh People like St- Stacey Abrams' sister, Oof. who's equally as no large. Way. Yes. Who's he? Oh, I didn't see that. So who would give her a run for her money at Golden Corral, and, and then even people like Kamala <laughs> Harris, oh my God. who uh, you know, it, it kind of sets up a scary equation here because one of the things people started talking about, you know, we've been talking about Hillary Clinton trying to stick her neck back into politics oh, for the last comment months just made
2: ago. me think of Hungry Hungry Hippo, the game.
5: Well, you're not too far <laughs> off, but but. By pushing someone who, number one, hates her job, number two, is doing horrible at it, number three, Joe Biden can't stand Kamala Harris into a nomination for the Supreme Court, former Attorney General of the State, you know, a lawyer, this, that, and the other thing. Who knows if she can get confirmed? That would open up that VP spot for Hillary to go into. Worst case scenario, 25th Amendment, Joe's gone. Who knows who she would nominate for the VP? And there you go. You have, like, Dr. Evil back in the Oval Office. And uh, not as a wife. So... <laughs> That's something that's been speculated on. It's probably the worst case scenario, and not going to happen. We're probably just going to see a whole bunch of unqualified radical progressives. Jesse Waters did weigh in on the Kamala Harris angle this week, though. Let's kind of hear how he gave a take on it.
3: Will Joe Biden nominate to fill a seat on the world's highest court? Perhaps someone who doesn't really like her current job.
11: (laughs)
7: <laughs> what do you want to know well i want to give you i want to give you that
3: well the media wants to know could this be kamala's ticket out of the white house is there any scenario in which the president would select his vice president, Kamala Harris, for the Supreme Court? Again, I'm
9: not going to speak to uh, any considerations, preparations, lists. Um, and as we've stated earlier, and you heard the president say, uh, it is there's a long history of Supreme Court justices determining when uh, they may retire, if they retire, and announcing that. Does make sense? Uh, and we're going to, uh, that remains the case today.
3: So Biden pulls the trigger on Kamala, lifetime appointment. She'd side with Sotomayor every time. Mm-hmm. Then you tap Mayor Pete as the first gay V. Media loves it. You're checking boxes. Or am I dreaming? Probably.
5: Oh, Mayor Pete. Remember, he, he's working right now to make... He, he wants to, as the, uh, as the transportation secretary, make sure that... Is he still on maternity leave? Uh, by the end of his term... Well, no, not end or of his term. I'm, I'm exaggerating, leave. right. He, he would like to see zero... Vehicular deaths nationwide. Say what? Way to set that bar super high and completely unattainable. You heard that this it's week, Alex. I-, bar,
6: I didn't hear that, but it's the same bar they set with COVID. The yeah, original zero. bar they set with COVID was absolutely no more COVID transmission. It must be eviscerated from the planet. It's just a totally unreasonable goal to set from the beginning. Also, sidebar, Jesse Waters, perfect for that slot. I'm <laughs> so glad they picked him for that show.
5: He's been killing it lately and with you know his his first week uh, numbers out, and he's, he's easily surpassing 3 million per show right now. It seems like he's going to fit in well there. I always thought he was kind of, uh, you know, someone that kind of had to live in the Fox News parameters, even though he he tended to uh, do his research outside of it. And I think now, you know, way more mature, married, settled down. He wants to get into a show and build a name for himself even more than he already has. I think he's going to do great in that time slot but uh, moving forward.
2: I didn't hear this Mayor Pete thing about the no – vehicular death scene.
5: This is what we'll do. I'll pull it and then we'll put it at the end of next show because it's funny and then we'll hit him with a garrison at the end of it. Got him. Because it's it's definitely uh, something that I saw and I had to watch like four or five times to make sure he wasn't joking about it. Get in, get into like the nitty gritty of this though. Joe Biden introduced uh, Justice Breyer yesterday in, in a presser. Let's hear a clip from uh, Joe and what he feels on the Supreme Court nomination pick.
0: Our day to commend his, his life of service and his life on the court. But let me say a few words about the critically important work of selecting his successor. Please don't. Choosing someone to sit in the Supreme Court, I believe, is one of the most serious constitutional responsibility a president has. Oh. <laughs> Our process is going to be rigorous. I will select a nominee worthy of Justice Breyer's legacy of excellence and decency. While I've been studying candidates' backgrounds and writing... Stop it. I've made no decision except one. The person I will nominate will be someone with extraordinary qualifications, character, experience, and integrity. And that person will be the first black woman ever nominated to the United States Supreme Court.
2: Why? I just don't understand it. Okay, so I'm not saying that there's no black women that are Unqualified. unqualified for this role, obviously. But how about we just focus on the person most qualified for the role. Period. Period.
6: That's it. It's almost like you believe in a meritocracy.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we're (laughs) literally just checking boxes.
6: So I, I wanted to call this racist whenever I first saw it, because in any other institution in American life, if you said, I want a white male for this job, it would be called racist. Right. But I actually just saw this literally just minutes before I came on with you guys. Have you seen that the Anti-Defamation League has changed their definition of racism just within the last couple of days? No, imagine that. What's it, check, this out, check this out. So here's the old definition. Racism is the belief that a particular race is superior or inferior to another that a person's social or moral traits are predetermined by his or her inborn biological characteristics. So that, you know, is a definition of racism. Mm -hmm. But here's the new one. As of like today, racism, the marginalization and or oppression of a person of color based on socially constructed racial hierarchy that privileges white people.
2: You silly, silly. Oh, so there's just nothing. There's no.
6: Yeah. So if you dare say that there's any type of racial prejudice and maybe racism going on in the Supreme Court pick, just know that by definition, according to the Anti-Defamation League, you are wrong as hell. (sighs)
2: Makes perfect sense. Yeah. Just like everything else in the world right now.
5: Yep. And just one more thing to set on fire, literally and figuratively. Justice Bayer did speak at his own event. Uh, was a little bit more coherent than Joe Biden Didn't really talk about that doesn't take much. Black females or anything like that And uh, pronouns or, or, or Things of that nature but uh, Let's hear him kind of weigh in uh, On just how radical progressive He's become over the last two decades As uh, he banned the bench
1: People have come to Accept this constitution and they've Come to accept the importance of a rule Of law and I want to make another Point to them I want to say look Uh, Of course people don't agree, but we have a country that is based on human rights, democracy, and so forth, but I'll tell you what Lincoln thought, what Washington thought, and what people today still think. It's an experiment. It's an experiment, that's what they said. And Joanna paid each of our grandchildren a certain amount of money to memorize the Gettysburg Address. And the, the reason, the reason that, 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 what we want them to pick up there, and what I want those students to pick up, if I can remember the first two lines, is that four, four score and seven years ago, our fathers brought up, uh, created upon this, uh, uh, here a new country. A country that was dedicated uh, to uh, liberty and the proposition that all men are created equal conceived in liberty, those are his words, and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. He meant women too. And uh, we are now engaged in a great civil war to determine whether that nation or any nation so conceived and so dedicated can long endure. See, those are the words I want to see an experiment And that's what he thought. It's an experiment. And I found some letters that George Washington wrote where he said the same thing. It's an experiment. That experiment existed then because even the liberals in Europe, you know, they're looking over here and they're saying, it's a great idea in principle, but it'll never work. Uh, But we'll show them it does. That's what Washington thought. And that's what Lincoln thought. And that's what people still think today. And I say, well, I want you, and I'm talking to the students now. I say, I want you to pick just this up. It's an experiment that's still going on. And I'll tell you something. You know who will see whether that experiment works? It's you, my friend. It's you, Mr. High School student. It's you, Mr. College student. It's you, Mr. Law School students. It's us, but it's you. It's that next generation. And the one after that. My grandchildren and their children. They'll determine whether the experiment still works. And of course, I am an optimist and I'm pretty sure it will. Does it surprise you that that's the thought that comes into my mind today? I don't know,
5: but thank you. So yeah, you know, (laughs) taking the founding father's words and twisting them and then obviously our founding documents and, and kind of dissecting them into what he would consider an experiment. Listen, the experiment that George Washington and Abraham Lincoln talked about and, and some of our other strongest leaders and, and, and founders of this country at the time are not the people that he's talking about when he's talking about experimenting with your children. What he's talking about is this radical, socialist, progressive bullshit that's been going on for the last you know decade or more in the United States and the indoctrination of how crappy society has gotten today based off – you know twisted verbiage like he uses there i mean i'm happy to see him go scared for what's going to come in because it can only be worse and younger um alex you know before we uh cut with you you got a hot take on uh justice Byers' words there
6: i i don't know if i have a super hot take on it i just i thought on whole the speech was actually relatively refreshing yeah. because I, you hear from both sides uh, all the time that oh uh, our democracy is on the brink the country is falling apart it's failing unless you vote for me and it's very rare that you have somebody in political life today step up and say look i believe that the experiment will succeed and will continue and i do have optimism for the country i thought that was actually a bit of a breath of fresh air on the flip side of that though it's always difficult for me. I love hearing people talk about their value of the Constitution because I value the Constitution. I consider right. myself to be a, a, a textualist when it comes to the Constitution. But it's really difficult to me to hear someone talk about how much they value the Constitution while at the same time I know that you abide by the, the belief that the Constitution is a living, breathing document. Yes. It's not. And whenever you say that it is, what you're really saying is, oh, this is just a bunch of words on a piece of paper, but it's living and breathing. So I can basically manipulate it to say anything that I want it to say any time. And if that's what you believe, which based on how he's ruled, that is how what he believes. You don't give a damn about the Constitution. So it sounds good when you say it, but I just know that you're lying to me because what you're saying is not what you've done in practice.
5: Yeah, it's a it's a really excellent point. And, and, and definitely, I take that as a hot take. I mean, you know, to hear Justice Breyer go up there and talk about his life accomplishments, and you could really see him gushing with how proud he was of, of himself to to do the things that he's done in this day and age, we've, we've seen, you know, he, he was obviously practicing law all the way back since like the, the civil rights era. And then when he became a Supreme Court justice, uh, in, in, in you know, Years down the road from that, he took some of the things that he lived through and worked through, and, and applied them to the court. And listen, there's two sides to every coin. It's the, the the you know conservative, and then there's the little bit more liberal. But it's it's one of those things. That, I fear, because of what goes on at the schools now, what's being taught in the schools now, and when he starts to reference those things, it probably may not be like a uh, cognate remark, but I just look at it as kind of like a warning that, you know, some of the things that they've experimented with and changed in regards to the children, the education system, critical race theory, and all this other stuff is really going to, good thing he's not going to be around to see his grandkids grow up, because they're going to probably have to go through some real serious shit before we get this country back on track again. Well, it's
2: like we're indoctrinating children at a much younger age.
5: Yeah. We'll we'll continue to track this. And, you know, this isn't really something that, listen, Supreme Court justice stepping down, getting ready to retire is major news. That's why we kind of painted a little picture for our listenership today. However- until they really get into the selection process and then head into some confirmation hearings, it's kind of going to be like a, you know, non-reportable because the way I look at it, Bri already said he's not stepping down from the bench until somebody is confirmed. So we know we'll circle back to this at some point in the next eight and a half months. But uh, you know, something I also hope we get to circle back with is Alex Abernathy who came and joined us today to do the news and has been absolutely amazing. Thank you for joining us.
6: Dude, you guys are awesome. I'm gonna to have to get one, if not both of you, on my show sometime soon.
5: We'd love to do that. Yeah. You know, that'd be great, and uh, we'd be more than happy to join you on an on an episode and uh, let the great people in uh, Tennessee hear our voices. Um, why don't you let all of our listenership know who don't already listen to you on the radio, follow your podcast or or social medias where they could find you, and uh, we'll live link in the show description for you today.
6: Yeah, for sure. You can find me on social media, Instagram, Twitter. It's at TN Anchorman. If you want to listen to the show, it's not all Tennessee stuff, so you don't have to worry about that. Actually, what we do is we take the radio show every day and divide it up into two separate podcasts. So one is only the national stuff, so we can kind of reach a big audience with that. And then one is only the Tennessee stuff. Uh, So if you just search my name, Alex Abernathy, in your favorite podcast app, both of them pop up. One is specified Tennessee. One is specified national. So You can just hit and subscribe that national one. And you'll get a, it's about 20 minutes a day of national coverage. And so, yeah, five days a week, 20 minutes a day, we get you caught up and we get you the uh, the conservative perspective of what's going on in the news. Nice.
5: Yeah. That sounds like uh, something really that uh, our listenership should, should be checking out. And uh, like I said, we'll live link in the show description today. We've been sharing some of your stuff on social media as of late. And like I already mentioned, we were looking forward to having you back. This is the uh, host of the Alex Abernathy show, Mr. Alex Abernathy. Thanks for joining us on this Friday edition of steak for breakfast.
6: Thanks, guys. I appreciate it.
5: All right. Joining us again today on Steak for Breakfast, one of our favorite guests. He's the host of Red, White and Truth. He's also a uh, House representative candidate in the midterm elections running in New Jersey for we all know him and love him. Mr. Mike Crispy, thanks for joining us today on this Friday edition of Steak for Breakfast.
3: Oh, what's going on, guys? And it's a Friday, Friday night edition. And, you know, my life is a little bit different. You know, usually on a Friday night, I'd be out about town But now I'm just getting in from campaigning and I wouldn't have it any other way, guys. It's been so much fun. This has been the most important decision I've ever made in my life. And I got to say, it's been a lot of work, but I'm very, very glad I'm doing it because the country, and especially New Jersey, needs this alternative and we're giving it to them. I like it. Yeah, we want to hear all
5: about what's been going on. You know, you had just announced, and we're kind of giving us, like, the logistics of what your campaign was going to look like. Now you've had a couple weeks to hit the ground running. And, listen, you and I, we talk every day offline. We're, we're friends in real life, not just as a guest on this show. I've been hearing all about the details. It's pretty mind-blowing. Why don't you let everybody know right now how the campaign's been now that you're really out there and, and, and starting to hit the ground and, uh, you know, build a big name for yourself?
3: Well, I'll tell you guys, you know, the 49 states, you declare to run, you get on the ballot and you do everything you can to get the support of people. Uh, New Jersey is actually the most unique for those out there. New Jersey is the most unique state in the country when it comes to primaries. It's literally a primary within a primary. What do I mean by that? What that effectively means is that you have to gather support from what's called the county committee. Now there's county committee in every county across the country but in New Jersey, they hold in a, special, a special amount of weight because the county committee, if you gain their support, uh, then you qualify to run in what's called a county convention. The county convention nominates a candidate out as their endorsed candidate, and that candidate then gets placed in the first column primetime position on the primary day ballot. So as you guys can see, it's very important to work these county committee people, win them over. Um, because they are the most involved local people. There's several hundred of them in each county per district. So it's like an electorate within an electorate. And it's funny because they have so much sway because they control on primary day when people go in to vote, they have no idea how any of this works. They go in, they just check the line down for Republicans. You know, New Jersey designs the ballot in a way uh, where the endorsed Candidates by the committee have the best position. And that's why there's been controversy in the state now for 30 years because people sue and challenge the fact that a small group of people are controlling where somebody is on a ballot and thus, you know, where people tend to just check the first box. Right. So it's very interesting. Now, it's a little convoluted, but I wouldn't have it any other way because we have great people who know how the system works. And I believe that with any amount of elbow grease, you could win over any group of people. So, you know, there are people who are obviously gunning for Chris Smith. Uh, Those are probably the only people who like Chris Smith in the whole county. Uh, But we are winning over so many people. And I'm pleased to announce that today we gained enough support uh, to participate in the convention uh, for the party's official endorsement. We will be the first campaign in Chris Smith's 41-year tenure. To ever qualify to compete against him in a convention, so it's a long-winded answer, but we've been putting in a lot of elbow grease on the ground, and the people are ready for a change, guys.
5: No, that's that's the thing that you know I really wanted to hear, um, you know, just how important getting out there early and getting out there strong. Listen, you've done both right now, and uh, we all know how hard of a worker you are. Anyone that's tracked your show or, or seen the, the pregame festivities from a Trump rally knows that, you, you know, you do your research, you get out there, you can literally talk for six hours straight and know, what, you, know what you're talking about, no. and, and now you're applying that stuff to to an America First, uh, you know, candidacy and, and, and campaign right now, which is just something that we need more than ever before in this country. Um, we didn't get to touch on your primary uh on the midterm challenger chris smith too right. much you know you called him a rhino you said he, he votes a lot with the the radical progressives out in the beltway and stuff like that but let's really start to un, uh, unfold this guy for for our listening audience right yeah. now what, what so what are, what are i these- will
3: say first and foremost the guy really uh has relied upon having the inside track with the party insiders for years and years it's his only appeal uh, when I go to these county committee people, they haven't even been approached by an alternative because nobody has seek to break through the corrupt party bosses that have protected him for all this time. Yeah. And now that we've gotten through to people and we're able to actually talk about his record, uh, there has been a pushback against him. And the pushback is very well deserving because think about it. You have a guy who's been in a seat for 41 years at that point, if you're in Congress for 41 years. You literally believe you transcend the party. That's what I believe. Nobody transcends the conservative movement and Republican values. So a guy like Chris Smith's been there for 41 years. He's very smug. He's very uh, arrogant. I know for a fact that he is very upset that we have gained the support and we've qualified to run the convention. I've heard through people who have doors I've stopped at that. His people are calling the houses every day, trying to strong arm them. He's nervous. He's worried. And he's trying to explain away his record. And you know what they say when you're explaining, you're losing. So he's losing on it because he can't explain the main points of his record. What are they? Uh, First things first, he votes for amnesty and to expand DACA. How can a Republican vote for amnesty and to expand DACA? When just one state over in New York, illegal immigrants who have been in the country for 30 days now have voting rights, right? So why would any Republican capitulate to the left on amnesty and DACA when we see what the left does? They take it and run with it. So how could a Republican support that? First things first. Second, the vaccine database. Now, we rip on Den Crenshaw for being a rhino, but I got to hand it to him because his defense of the vaccine database vote, H.R. Bill 550, I thought it was great because it helps my case. Dan Crenshaw was in an article. They were questioning him on it. And he was saying, oh, Republicans who are calling us out, Republicans who are calling out other Republicans for voting on this are grifters. Really, the co-sponsor of that bill, H.R. 550, a Democrat from New Hampshire, said in her remarks, now her being positive because she's a radical leftist, this is a really good bill because it allows the government to be able to remind people when they need to get their vaccines and their shots. I'm sorry. What remind the people when to get their vaccines? Oh, it's so great. So thank you, Chris Smith, for voting for that. The people in the district do not like that either. Uh, Next thing he voted, obviously for the infrastructure bill, which caused a lot of these things. And he's been trying to explain away that a couple of million dollars went to something for the county. But what he can't explain is the 89% of the bill that went to the Green New Deal slush fund, things such as tree equity. That is the government funding uh, a, I guess, a survey, a study or whatever, research of where they can plant trees so there is the most environmental justice brought to each and every area. What the hell is going on there? Additionally, uh, in that bill, uh, there was hundreds of millions of dollars that was funding the study of truck emissions at the ports of entry how can the government re- reduce co2 at the ports of entry the ironic part is we literally have a supply chain crisis but that's where they're putting money in yep third that's, thing that's how they're really is really it gave CO2 hundreds less. of millions
2: sorry that's how they're making the co2 less
3: i <laughs> how they're making the co2 they're literally sitting there so it's like they're they're perpetuating climate change the next thing it did was it funded hundreds of millions of dollars to universities to study, again, all studies, uh, electric vehicle feasibility for the uh, campus transportation. So I can go on and on, but that's in the infrastructure bill. People don't like that. People especially don't like the fact that this guy uh, votes for a national gun registry and is the most anti-Second Amendment Republican probably in the entire country. He put the cherry on top with the fact that he votes to uh, strip other Republicans of their committee assignments like Marjorie Taylor Greene. And he lives in Virginia. His kids get in-state tuition at Virginia University. So he's stealing from the taxpayer in Virginia. And then he calls himself a conservative and calls himself a New Jersey resident. None of that is true. And as the people find this out, guys, he is done.
5: No. No. I mean, when you just look at the logistics there and how, how well the picture you paint, I, I would have to think just based on how long he's been in and his age, in addition to how you've blatantly pointed out where he lives and his voting record, that there is just no way that he's up for
3: this fight. Period. Well, he's he's fighting really hard. I mean, he, he again, people like that, they have an intoxication with the power. You know, you ever, it's like it's like a drug addict. Okay, he is addicted to the power. Nobody wants to do a job for 41 years. Anything. No one wants to do a job for 41 years. Chris Smith has been in Congress for 41 years. How is that even possible? How could anybody even want to do that? Right. That's not how nothing, it was intended, but he is drunk on the power and he does not want to give it up. So even after 22 terms of Congress, he just wants more and more and more. He's going to die in the seat. Probably if he had it his way, that's not the way that the founding fathers intended it to be. And I want to do it their way, serve a couple terms, step back and go do something else in society, how the government was supposed to be right. Yeah. So long story short, you know, this guy is, uh, is, is obviously uh, looking to corral the local establishment in his corner to fend off a real challenger. He's obviously getting more money than ever from his special interests, big pharma, organized labor packs, et cetera. It's the only place he raises money. He doesn't raise money with the grassroots. And he is going to obviously strong arm uh, local officials and does and do what he has done for years and years and years. And that is trade influence at the top. It's the only way that he can survive. And it's not the way that elections were intended to be. But we're just going to keep fighting. We're going to keep spreading the word. And as we spread the word every day, we win more and more and more.
5: No, I I completely agree and I see it starting to uh, materialize right now. Mike, what's up next for you as you, you take the next steps to kind of get even further into your campaign? The time is very short in regards to now and, and the elections were what, nine and a half months away before people are gonna be casting their ballots? I know you said there's some primary stuff going on in New Jersey, but what are the next steps that you're gonna be taking to kind of ramp up this campaign?
3: Well, um, you know, we gotta you know, we gotta we have these conventions that are to come up which are gonna be excellent. I mean yeah. it's just it's just Just part of the process is going to get a lot of support out, a lot of grassroots. In addition to that, we're going to uh, start sending out, doing all the things the campaign does, right? Sending out mail, uh, going to be knocking on doors, going to be making phone calls, going to be visiting people, going to be raising funds from the grassroots, not from special interests. And most importantly, uh, you know, hopefully Chris Smith will agree to a debate. I don't think he ever will, but hopefully he will. And in which time we would love to debate him, but we're just going to get out everywhere as much as possible. Our campaign is the only challenge to Chris Smith that is actually doing these things that a serious campaign challenging an incumbent would do. Mm -hmm. We're the only one. So, you know, I hope that as the endorsements come, as we get more support from America First folks around the country uh, that, you know, the America first wing will realize the right thing to do is to coalesce around our campaign. Again, the only serious, credible and well-funded campaign in the field right now and get behind us. And that way we could do what's right for the country. We could answer president Trump's wishes is, which is to have a bold, smart America first challenger to take him down and then do that, take him down. So we got a long way to go. We're really excited, but, um, you know, I don't think we've even uh, we've even started yet. I mean, it feels like it's just every day in a campaign is like organized chaos. And that's a good thing. But as long as we win every day, day by day by day, new voters, new people in the community who are going to tell their friends about it, then we're going to win. And that's what we got to do.
5: No, I definitely uh, see it starting to materialize right now. And listen, if anybody's going to go out there and work harder for the people in New Jersey Try to find somebody better than Mike Crispy who's doing it right now. Mike, we want everybody to start uh, and continuing to donate to you, sharing your social medias, getting involved with your campaign. Why don't you throw out your socials there, and we'll live
3: link them in the show description like we always do. All right, MikeCrispy.com. If you don't know the spell by now, M-I-K-E-C-R-I-S-P-I, MikeCrispy.com. You can go get all my stuff there, my platform uh, the donation link, it's there. And then I'm on Instagram at Red White Truth. I'm still doing the show. We had a great episode uh, the other day. I'm doing them early now, you, you know. Uh, I, I tried doing it really, really early. I'm not a morning guy. <laughs> so, like, I try to start the show at right around, you know, 745, 8 o'clock. That's the earliest I could possibly do it while still having my fire. Um, so, we're, we're still doing the show. We got exciting things planned there. We can never stop getting the word out. So we're going to keep broadcasting. Um, And so on red, white truth at, at, uh, at uh, Instagram on Twitter, Mike crispy and Jay. And then we just started Facebook. I'm not really a Facebook guy, but Mike crispy on Facebook. So, you know, everyone come find me and uh, continue to watch the show because at the end of the day, this is why we, uh, this is why we do it because we need to spread the word and we need to take action And it's the only way we're going to save the country.
5: Yeah, we know you're super busy, Mike, but we're going to keep sharing you across social medias. And then whenever you have some time to stop in and
3: give us an update on the campaign, we'll be sure to bring you back. Guys, I appreciate it as always. Uh, Again, the best podcast in the business. And, uh, you know, we'll be back soon. And I I think we're going to collaborate on some exciting stuff in the future. I guess we'll see, right?
5: Yeah, definitely. Definitely some announcements coming soon moving forward. (laughs) Again, ladies and gentlemen, this is one of our favorites and one of my good friends running for house representative seat in New Jersey for Mr. Mike Crispy. Thanks for joining us today on this Friday edition of steak for breakfast. You got it guys.
3: Next time I'll come on, we'll talk about Ukraine. All right. Oh, I know we're I ran down. out of time but I got a lot of thoughts on Ukraine. Okay. You take care, sir. Thanks guys. See ya.
5: Well, it was great sitting down finally with Alex and, uh, letting him get to, uh, bless our listening audience with his velvety voice for, uh, a guy who looks like he's kind of a youngster. He's, he's doing really well in in both his market in Tennessee. And then the, the news that he's reading with, uh, the, uh, Dan Bongino show right now. So Mm -hmm. definitely going to have him back at some point in the future. And then of course, always amazing to hear from our great friend, true Patriot. And one of the strongest America first candidates out there, uh, Mike Crispy. And anytime he's got an update for us, we're going to make sure that, uh, you know, we, we bring it to you guys because it's it's definitely important. So, listen, we got a little bit of best of the rest. However, it, it's talking more about how you know bad the uh, current regime is doing up in the uh, up there on Capitol Hill. We do have some uh, you know negative press that that's that's been circulating. Still, CNN, I'm telling you, they're taking a big step back. We've already had you know that clip that we played today that was scrubbed from the internet in our first segment of uh, Jake. Tapper, uh, breaking news yesterday in regards to the leaking of the Ukraine phone call. And now we had yesterday, I saw, you know, that they can they conducted a poll recently about Joe Biden's poll numbers. And regardless, if you want to say if it's in the low 40s, the high 30s, or just flip those numbers around and bring them all the way down to like 10 percent approval rating. Here's what CNN's playing for their uh, viewing audience right now.
4: Well, a poll says Biden's overall job approval rating at 42 percent, and that includes a new Monmouth survey. It says only 30 percent of Americans think that President Biden is very concerned Oof. with the economic well-being of average Americans.
2: Mm. Pretty horrible, right? I mean, can't not agree with it.
5: No. And and, and when he talks about, you know, the, the economy and how much it means to Americans and how much they think Joe Biden cares about it. Uh, here's an inflation related clip also from CNN.
7: Inflation is a giant and ugly problem. <laughs> Today's economic report shows that consumer prices rose by 6.5% in the fourth quarter alone. I want to give you some context on that. That is more than three times greater than what we saw before the pandemic began. And it is the biggest increase in prices since 1981, the time of stagflation. And for the millions of Americans living paycheck to paycheck, Mm -hmm. it is a problem that cannot be overstated. When milk doubles in price, that's a problem. Gas prices are up 50%, yes, from pandemic lows, but that affects people. Prices for used cars up thirty seven percent, and other food staples. I mentioned uh, an anecdote about milk, but meats, poultry, and fish up twelve and a half percent. And if you could find know them in the real world, mm-hmm. we all know that it's everywhere. I should it's everywhere. My truck.
5: So yeah, that, I mean that's some frustration coming from the people over there at CNN. Nineteen eighty one. that's a
2: fucking yeah. decent amount of time. It sure that's is
5: ridiculous. That's that's definitely definitely a blast from the past, and not one that anyone wanted to see. Now, in addition to the news kind of flipping script on Joe Byron and uh, Mr. Joe Byron! Mr. Basements right now, you've also seen some of the bigs in the Democrat Party kind of walking themselves back from him as well. You'll you you you'll have the, the dead-enders that are stuck there in the House and Senate that are going to be with him until the day he's, you know, removed from office. But you have all of these speaking events. We had one in Georgia not too long ago. He went down to talk about the voter integrity bill right before it was killed. You had Stacey Abrams say, sorry, confliction of uh, scheduling. I, I I can't make it. And I'm hungry. And she's very hungry. But then you had some of the top Democrats in Pennsylvania where he was going, Scranton Joe, heading back to Pennsylvania today, talk about infrastructure. You had three top people in Pennsylvania all say they've had scheduling conflicts right before he got there. Let's uh, hear it a bit.
10: Democrats are spooked by the idea of appearing with Joe Biden, which I think speaks to his standing inside of the party, given that his poll numbers are somewhere in the low 40s. He's going to be in Pennsylvania. Three Democrats uh, were invited. Uh, only uh, one of the three will show up, a candidate for governor, a candidate uh, for Senate will not. When we look at social media in terms of people talking and, and about their alignment with Joe Biden, you're seeing a lot of these uh, candidates in competitive races Not wanting to be Biden Democrats. Uh, One reporter asked uh, uh, Steny Hoyer, the number two House Democrat, should people run as Biden Democrats? And he said they should run as Democrats who deliver. So not a ringing endorsement for saying you're a Biden Democrat. The reason that this matters is it just speaks to his power right now uh, politically. People want to be next to a winner. They want to feel like they have the route, the strength. Most people running in the House right now are they're worried. You have a lot of retirements. You have a lot of tough races. It's not a great climate for Democrats right now. They fear that they're gonna lose the House.
5: And they most certainly are and gonna lose the Senate as well. What do you think goes into that that fear narrative that, you know, want that makes Democrats not want to cuddle up to uh Mr Robinette basements you know is it is it one of the things where he's gonna make these awful references and uh forget people's names and do things a la this
0: but uh um I might point out your uh when I went to Dearborn driving that uh you know uh it was up there I don't know man. This is, a, this is a real it, uh, press conference this week. I think the press thought I was crazy. I enjoyed it so much going up and uh, your new EV factory uh, and that, uh, that Hummer.
5: So is it stuff like that, that Noah? That Hummer? Is he o- talking
2: about the vice president?
5: <laughs> Probably. Or, or is it stuff like this? It strips you of your dignity, damn it. Can you imagine looking at your
0: child? And you know what they need,
5: and not be able to do it. So which one is it? You're getting Mister Asleep at the Wheel putting a lid on it at banging on the podium ten o'clock in the morning when supposedly Ukraine and Russia are invading, going out and getting the double chalky chalky chip ice cream cone in 25-degree weather with no jacket on in Washington, D.C., doesn't make any sense, or you get the guy that's belligerently yelling and screaming and making no sense. He's like a
2: like a rest home dementia person who's just, like, wandering
5: outside. I think we've been saying that since day one. Mm. Um, yeah, you know, but before we didn't have any, like, actual proof. <laughs> I, 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 saw, I heard an interesting clip. I, I went and pulled it um, from the other day. It was from, surprisingly enough, not really – Kind of the material we bring on this show. The last time you've heard it was when he gave Kamala Harris the business. Charlemagne the God was doing, Ooh, yeah. they were doing a round table. It's not really a round table, there's a coffee table and in they're in like round couches. So it was a round couch discussion on Joe Biden. And this is kind of the gist of it of how the black community is kind of responding to this administration right now.
10: Man, where's Trump? Yeah. Get this motherfucker out of yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're,
13: they're
10: like, Motherfuckers, they feel like they would rather get it wrong. Yeah. Like, you know what? At yeah. least we know where that motherfucker These yeah. motherfuckers is gassing us he up, lying
2: to on. us, nah. promising
4: us shit and yeah. didn't deliver. Nah, like, I'm, I, like, I cannot wait to see, and I'm already watching it, I'm watching Democrats start the campaign. They're already like, Hillary, you
10: got to go out there and vote? Like, democracy depends on it. I'm like, when y'all going to start governing like democracy depends on it? Talk some. Ouch! Yeesh.
5: So and and listen, whether or not we agree with the, with ninety nine point nine seven percent.
2: Wait, so Joe Biden would say that he's not black then, right?
5: Definitely not black. Yeah. Of the narrative that's on the Charlemagne the God show, w- when it comes to stuff like that, and the reach that that guy has in, in the communities that are are not necessarily too tuned into politics, um, they're bringing it in because if those guys are feeling it and you know they all live extremely comfortable lives as celebrities, then just imagine how much the uh, blue-collar men and women who are working in a lot of those urban areas across the country are really feeling it with inflation and all the taxes and you know all, can't find jobs and all the stuff that's going on in this country well, right now. Well, that's
2: the thing with this. It's, it's crept up to the point where it's affecting the affluent and quote-unquote normal people, not the peasants.
5: Yeah, and uh, apparently in this economy right I mean, now— I was a peasant well, we can all identify as peasants right now. No. I mean, are you technically a peasant if you have the money to buy stuff, but then you go to the store to buy it and it's not there? And the only people that can get it? No. Okay, so if you can't buy chicken, is it the elites only eating it? You kind of feel like there's a caste system being set up and uh, you know implemented under this economy and under the Biden regime. So it's one of those things we're moving forward as we round up here this episode of the show with a good clip, as if that, that one wasn't spicy enough. Donald Trump, in addition to joining Glenn Beck, and I believe Sean Hannity this week, was not on the golf course. You know, he's not running for anything right now, and he's warming up to do an amazing rally in uh, Texas this weekend, which we will cover fully on our Tuesday edition of Steak for Breakfast podcast. However, he was uh, making some comments that I think a lot of people would probably enjoy. Let's hear uh, some of the commentary he gave before he teed off here.
0: You're so lucky to, lucky to be one-up.
11: be lucky. We'll be lucky
8: if we're up. We got it, we got
11: it. First on T, 45th president of the United States. 45th and 47th. 47th. Yes. Oh, I love that. Mr. Trump, Trump. Legend.
2: What do you think? <laughs> I like it. Listen. I mean, is that does that uh, count as... Officially coming out as running, does he have to start paying now? Don't let the uh, the election appropriations committee hear you say that. They'll probably try to try to ham him up with that.
5: They're going to try and hem him up any way we can. Listen, we still have January 6th. We still have that radical communist attorney general in upstate New York trying to prosecute him and his family for everything. And believe me, if you think that uh, Donald Trump's going to go around the country right now doing Save America rallies for all the America First candidates and just skip right into either uh, Speaker of the House for 100 days and then the campaign or King making the Speaker of the House after the midterm elections and then jumping into the campaign consequence-free, problem-free, issue-free, scandal-free, get ready for it. You know, they've probably got some tricks up their sleeve. I saw today, um, there was an article out. I didn't get to read what the specifics of it were. It had something to do with overturning the 2020 presidential election. It was a written but not signed executive order. And now they're looking at, like, legally, how can they pin this on the president, even though it was never – initiated or signed into power. It was something that was presented They're They're uh, speculating that it was done by either like Sidney Powell, Jenna Ellis, Mike Lindell, etc. But it's one of those things where they're just starting to look for anything to take the news narrative away from how absolutely bad this regime is burning down the fucking country right now and trying to pin it back on Donald Trump before he makes his formal announcement. And, you know, we'll just, uh, Keep an eye on it in the months well, moving ahead.
2: It's getting to the point where you can't even blame Trump for it now. It's just like... And the press has called them on that several times. Yeah, it's like... Uh, it's been a year. It's definitely Trump's fault. Yeah, yeah but this is something you said you were going to do. Like, while you were running, you said you were going to do all of this stuff. Well, not all of it, but most of this stuff.
5: Overpromised, maybe?
2: No, not even overpromised. You said you were going to negate everything that Donald Trump had done, which is affecting us at the southern border. It's affecting... Everything.
5: Yeah. And and the economy, uh, apparently, according to Jen Psaki, we're still rebuilding, what did she call it, tattered relationships that they were handed over from the Trump administration. We all, we all know that stuff is not true. Tattered relationships. It's just an embarrassment. And like I said, as we move forward...
2: Like a tattered relationship with Peter Doocy.
5: That stupid <laughs> son of a bitch that he is. Um, what a stupid son of a bitch. We'll keep tracking on it, and then we'll find out if there's any new juicy tidbits going into... You know, next week after we uh, hear the Trump rally this weekend. I like it. Friday edition. In the books. Not too bad. A little later in the day than you're going to be getting steak for breakfast, but that's okay.
2: Mike Crispy went to bed.
5: Yeah, I'm sure everybody's going to bed. Unfortunately, uh, we're going to have to go to work later. Uh, The fact of the matter is... We had a great show, we had some great guests. We missed Antoinette today, but don't worry. Never fret, she'll be back on Tuesday.
2: She was in and out, but she was busy.
5: Yeah, and if you wanna catch up, on all things Steak for Breakfast, you could download all 103 episodes of the podcast on every major downloadable podcasting platform. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Pandora, Podbean, Google Podcast, FM Player, and now iHeartRadio. Subscribe to the show and rate it, leave a review, and don't forget to download, listen, like, follow, and share Steak for Breakfast content. Show creds obviously go to all of our amazing guests, the hosts of the Alex Abernathy Show, Alex Abernathy, uh, senatorial candidate out of Nevada, Adam Lexalt. And House candidate running in New Jersey for Mr. Mike Crispy, in addition to our internet friends, Cagbro88, the Patriotic Babe Accounts, Kyle Becker of Kyle Becker News, Mr. Garbaggio himself, Christina Bob of One America News, and Tom Pappert, editor in chief of the National File. Look, guys, listen. Our partners. Listen here, Fat. Listen here, Jack. Our partners are small American businesses, and all you do by help giving them some business is make them great again. MyPillow, best night's sleep you'll ever have Go on the website, MyPillow.com forward slash stake. All bedding related material, 50% off and more right now You can use promo code stake at checkout and you can talk to a qualified pillow representative at 1-800-658-8045 Odyssey The top tier of ear gear that sits upon Noah's head every week that I have to look at Someday I'll have a pair of my own You can find them on Odyssey.com They're on Facebook and Instagram as well Stay Ready Gear Holsters, Melted Kydex, done right. You got a picture, you really love it. It's your cat, Donald Trump, kissy face, maybe hugging the flag. Send it to them. They've got a new uh, shop. They're cranking out orders faster than ever before. They're at StayReadyGearUSA.com. You can find them on Facebook and Instagram as well. Man rubs. At the end of the day, simple equation. Don't mistreat your meat. You buy it, you shake it, you rub it, you smoke it, you pull it, Dribble on some barbecue sauce and then throw it right in your mouth. Num, num, num. ManRubs.com. You can find him on Facebook and Instagram. Mike, down at West Coast Survival Arms. Firearms needs taken care of. He's got ammo. He's amazing to work with. WestCoastSurvivalArms.com is the website. The Phone number is 619 and you can talk to him on Facebook Messenger. Mediocre Medic, for all our first responders. They love Mediocre Medic apparel, and they buy it at MediocreMedic.com. You can also check out their Pretty Fire IG. And then the gold standard tactical flair can be found at Dumpbox. Mark Joe Friday, Inventor of the Zero Fuck Stuck. In case you didn't know, go ask them. They're on dumpbox.us. You can find them on Facebook and Instagram as well. Upcoming shows. Got a couple uh, lined up right now. We're still finalizing with a uh, few of our guests. We got uh, Carrie Lake gubernatorial candidate running in Arizona joining us Tuesday. In addition to that, we'll have senatorial candidate and former governor of Missouri, Mr. Eric Greitens, joining us as well. Tony Cowden's going to be joining us next Friday. Believe it or not, Amanda Milius, hard reschedule again. She's working hard if you're following her on social medias. We're going to get her back end of February or first week of March. We're going to throw some guests in there between now and then to uh, make Friday one of our amazing shows as usual. The following Tuesday on the 11th of February, Ms. Christina Bob of OAN will be joining us to do the news. In addition to that, we'll have an exclusive interview with the Raw Egg Nationalists. And in addition to all of that stuff, we're going to have a New York edition of an America First Roundtable featuring Desi Quaylar, AOC's primary challenger, running in New York 14, and Andrew McCarthy, who's running in New York 23. Darren Beattie will be joining us on the 15th of February, and we're going to have an exclusive January 6th related interview with him, Miss Marylee Staples, who's running in Georgia 6th, Trump endorsed, will be joining us on the 18th of February, and on the 22nd, we're going to have a steak exclusive. Robert Green, you might not know the name, but you may know the news story. Last month, Joe Biden fired and demoted a high-ranking Navy officer. He's a commander, and uh, it was due to the vaccine stuff. He's going to be giving steak for breakfast his first ever interview. So we're going to be bringing that to you on the back end of February now. Friends of the Week, Grand Old Memes, Dumbass Photoshop, What I Mean to Say, period in between each word, Sublime and Slime, Midnight Mitch, Hugh White Memes, and Hubertos. There you go. I just thought I was going to get a Garrison for that one. Oh. oh. Thank you. Guys, remember between now and next show, we ask you to do very few things. First of all, do your own research. Number two, start a podcast. Believe me, but all the edits know what it's been doing lately. He can tell you it's easy as possible. You just cut it up and, and throw it at your computer, and you can make it happen. And then last but certainly not least, let's see what happens. We'll be back next week with episode 104 of the Steak for Breakfast podcast, where we're going to have gubernatorial candidate Carrie Lake and senatorial candidate Eric Greitens. This has been episode 103, and on behalf of the pod team, well, two out of three, Noah. Bye. And I'm Roan. Thanks for listening, and take care.
13: Joshua will She
5: stepped in the other room to answer the phone Who uh, you do who one wrong People fall,
11: scissors, they come Am I to understand the Russian ambassador is to be admitted to entrance to the, the war room? That is correct. He is here on my orders. I I don't know exactly how to put this, sir, but are you aware of what a serious breach of security that would be? I mean, you'll see everything. You'll see the big board.